0: Sleigh bells ring Are you listening In the lane Snow is glistening A beautiful sight We're happy tonight Walking in a winter Wonderland Gone away all
1: right, welcome back to the Just End the Suffering podcast, the third annual holiday special edition. going to be a jam-packed show today, my annual gift to the listeners of this podcast. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. Got a very big show this week. We will get to everything as it goes on in just a bit. We have a guest. We have NFL picks. We have a couple other fun surprises along the way, but just got to start out here for a minute. Just talk about how weird this year 2020 has been, because I remember last year, during the holiday special, we we're still looking ahead to 2020 and they had the calendar out. It's like, boy, 2020 is the perfect holiday year for you because you know single the miles on Taco Tuesday, Fourth of July is on the weekend, you have Christmas on a Friday, you have Halloween on a Friday. Like everything worked out perfectly, but life got in the way. It's been a tough and trying year for everybody. For the court wise of this podcast, the sports fans. Uh, Sports obviously severely impacted by the coronavirus pandemic because you look at life pre March 11th, life post March 11th. I talked about on the podcast back in March about what it was like when I was at the MAC tournament in March. We had the news that Rudy Gobert contracted coronavirus, the NBA shut down. It's like, okay, it's a matter of time where everything goes. The NCAA tournament got canceled. The baseball season got cut to 60 games. The basketball season and the hockey season definition bubbles. Set the new ones, the NBA just starting today. Hockey still a month out. No fans pretty much anywhere. College football is a mess. College basketball is a mess right now. And beyond the sports world, the pandemic's disrupted everything. People lost their jobs. We saw racial unrest that reemerge in this country. And we just went through one of the nasty election cycles in the history of America. We also lost plenty of people on the way, including some well-known folks in the sports and entertaining worlds. We lost Kobe Bryant in January. We lost Tom Seaver, loving Mets icon, in the, during the summer, early September. We lost Alex Trebek. We lost Chadwick and Way too many more names. name. This holiday season, though, I will say, does have some hope that things are going to be better in 2021. There are two COVID vaccines on the market. They're already starting to be distributed to frontline healthcare workers and people in assisted living facilities. There's talk now from Dr. Fauci that by the spring of 2021, any American who wants a vaccine should be able to get one. And if that happens, we get to that herd immunity level. Next summer, looks like it could be normal. It could be going to the ball games again. could be going to the beach, going on summer vacations. So we're almost there, guys. We're almost there. New president coming in. They have promised to work on uniting our country. And whether you agree with the politics or not, that's a nice idea to believe in. There's plenty to look forward to in 2021. I want to thank you, the listener, spending some of the time this year when you have all this wackiness going on in the world, spending some time listening to me, or all the crazy content I put out this year. Going back to January, when I dropped the first episode of the podcast of the year with Russell Baxter. We did preview the NFL wildcard playoffs until this very holiday special. There been 68 podcasts dropping your feed this year. 68. Knowing there's some people listening, enjoying this episode means a lot. This some of the moment, best moments of the show in just a bit of our Week 16 NFL picks. A few holiday special traditional segments mixed in as well. We got, obviously, holiday gifts is coming back, a new one coming in. But first, we'll start off with the main event. You know I like to go for the interesting outside-the-box guest here on the holiday special. We did Rick Sarone year one. We did Ross Greenberg from HBO year two. I'll link to those interviews in the, in the show notes here, so you can check those out if you're interested. But today... We're not talking about current sports. We're going to talk about the Mets a bit. We're going to talk to Anthony DiColo, the Met beat reporter, who is also the author of The Captain, David Wright's memoir. He spent a lot of time with David. I read the book. And I recommend the book. I had a conversation with Anthony earlier this week about the book. We will get his thoughts about his experiences working with David. All that right after this call of David Wright's World Series home run and courtesy of Fox Sports' is Joe Buck. All right, we are back here. We're talking on the hot podcast holiday special, talking about the book, The Captain, written about New York Mets third base and David Wright. Speaking to one of the authors of the book right now, the team's beat reporter for NLB.com, Anthony DeComo, was on the line. Anthony, welcome how are you?
2: I'm doing well. How are you?
1: Doing pretty good. I admit, as a guy who's read this book a couple times, I'm, I think it's very, very interesting to get a look at David Wright like the, look, the one you gave us.
3: I, I appreciate that. Yeah, he's a, um, you know, it's, for anyone, for any Mets fan of a, of a certain age, or of any age really, I think you know, he's a guy who you either grew up looking up to, or you know you respected as someone uh, you know that 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 played the game the right way, that did things the right way, and uh, it was uh, you know it was a pleasure to kind of be able to tell that story uh, as someone who covered him because uh, there, there there are very few better guys in the game.
1: absolutely and obviously I know you mentioned a bit in the book that like you met him in 2007 when you were working as an intern with Marty Noble talking about how great he was so what was your relationship what like with David Wright as a player for the team
3: well David was always kind of you know the go-to guy in the clubhouse and you can say that about a lot of players around the league uh, just by by definition of, of being that of being a star um, you know they're the guys that reporters go to um, they're the guys that are expected to speak after every game but, but David kind of took to that role in a way that a lot of guys don't and, and that's not to say that he you know savored the spotlight savored being in front of the camera uh, if anything he was kind of the opposite but uh, you know he understood more than probably any player I've ever seen the the responsibilities that come part and parcel with being a star in New York And he very much was star, uh, you know, he came up here with high expectations. He fulfilled those expectations He, he exceeded those expectations um, So my experience with David, uh, you know, when I met him in 2007 He was already that he had already had a couple of big seasons. He was a star in New York. He was that Dan to Derek Jeter and I expected kind of that stereotypical uh, superstar persona Um, and he wasn't that he he was a very down to earth guy he was the type of guy that uh, you know yes he had to jockey for time to talk to him because everyone else in the media wanted to talk to him but you know, he was willing to engage with you and to be honest with you And, and those are really important qualities for a player uh, you know from the media's perspective so uh, you know it was always a pleasurable interaction with David and then over the years years passed, and reporters come reporters go and you know I was kind of one of the constants on the beat so we developed a, uh, you know a tighter relationship through that and that's kind of how in the end the, the book came about
1: yeah how did the idea for the book first come up and like when was this I- idea that you and David came together say oh, we're gonna write a book about your career
3: This was an idea that I had in the back of my head for a long time. Um, You know, like I said, having covered him for a decade plus, having seen, uh, A, just how much he meant to the fan base, to the city of New York, baseball in New York, and B, you know, seeing some of the trials and tribulations that he went through. It was always, it was in the back of my mind that, this would make a good subject for a book, a good topic for a book. I didn't know what form it would take or if it would ever happen. Um, but once he kind of went through the last phase of his career and came back uh, for that one final game, uh, and it was so for anyone who who remembers that time, it was just such a dramatic thing. And that's where it really crystallized in my mind. Like this is this is this is definitely uh, you know a book topic. This is a subject I want to do it. So I approached David at the very end of his final season and kind of told him what was on my mind and in my mind i i kind of thought it would be a a biography i as i mentioned david's not the type of person who seeks out the spotlight and i didn't think he would want to necessarily write a, a memoir a first person autobiography but he was flattered that i was interested in doing anything at all and we got to talking a little bit after the season and the more we talked the more uh, I think he kind of gained a little interest in this idea of writing his own story of having something, you know, putting down while it was fresh in his mind, uh, everything that he did in his career, uh, something to show his kids one day when they're old enough to, to really understand it. So uh, the more we got to talking, the more it kind of gelled into this form of the autobiography, the memoir, and, the, and then we got to work.
1: Yeah. So what was it like working with David on the book? Because I'm sure it probably was a lot of interview sessions, sitting down talking about all these different aspects of his career.
3: It was a ton of interview sessions um and the one thing I always say is that David was uh, you know exactly what I expected. If he said, I'll call you at two o'clock, he calls you at two zero zero. I mean that's just the kind of guy that he is which which made the process easy. You, you know one of the things that I was concerned about going into the process was it's one thing to do what I do in my day job and write articles and um, you know, write about the Mets, write about players, write about various things, but to write in someone else's voice, in their eyes, I had to not only, you know, make it sound good, but also make it sound authentic, make it sound like David, make it sound so that somebody reading the book who who knows David and has heard him talk and has heard him, you know, do his various interviews over the years, reads and says, yes, yeah, this, is, this is him, this is what he sounds like. So, That was a challenge that I always had in the back of my mind, but but David, you know, he's a relatively eloquent guy to begin with, so that made it easier, and and just his accessibility and his willingness to be open and honest. Um, You know, the other, I would say the other obstacle that was in my mind going into this was, uh, David's a guy with kind of a squeaky clean image. There are no skeletons in the closet, so how do you kind of make a book interesting and dramatic when, when it is that way? Um, but, but I think you know, two things stood out in that regard. One was there was so much built-in drama with David's career, just with everything that he put his body through with the injuries and, and everything that he did to to make this something special. Um, you know, I, I think people will read the book and realize there was a lot more depth to it than maybe they saw on the surface and that he went through a lot more than maybe they realized at the time. Um, so, yeah, so it was uh, it was a fun process it was a lot of hard work but i think we both enjoyed it
1: yeah i saw you did over 40 interviews of people getting ready for this book getting giving some context it's like who were the people you talked to apart from david that sort of had the most interesting insights to you
3: you know there were there were a few um a couple that stand out you know i, I as i mentioned i i've i covered the bulk of david's career over a decade plus um Everything that fans saw whether that was the big moments in 2006 or the collapse in 2007-08 the playoff run in 2015 I was there So maybe I didn't have David's inside perspective on those things at the time But I saw them with my own two eyes two eyes. I talked to to David and other players at the time So I knew what was going on what I didn't see with my own two eyes was his upbringing Um, was how he kind of developed into a star so the interviews that I found most interesting were with his parents. Um, you know, he had a particularly influential, uh, a couple of particularly influential coaches early in his life when he was on the AAU travel circuit down in Virginia. Uh, you know, part of a part of a class of young players that included Ryan Zimmerman and, and the Upton brothers and Michael Kadire and all these guys who went on to be first-round draft picks in the majors. Uh, you know, you'll read the book and you'll realize that wasn't necessarily coincidence that there were some really influential forces down there that were helping these, these players develop. So a lot of those interviews, um, you know, really were probably the most educational for me and I leaned the most heavily on as opposed to, you know, later in his career, leaning more on, you know, my own experiences and research aspects of it, because, you know, you could, you can look up pretty easily what David did in the world baseball classic in 2013, you can't look up what he did in some twelve and under AAU game back in back in the nineties. So it was um, those to me were, were the, the chapters also that kind of built his character and, and showed you what this guy's all about.
1: Yeah, I think one of the more interesting parts of the book in the beginning, of especially, is like this scene the relationship that Wright had with his father Ron, and then you sort of see that carries throughout his career the influence Ron had. Can you speak a little bit to that?
3: Yeah, I mean, Ron Wright was, you know, if you. If you if you, you just, I mean, I've, I've described David as the guy who does everything the right way and there are no skeletons. I mean, that's very much from his parents and, and it's, you know, a, a big and specific portion of it comes from his dad who was, you know, a police officer for many years, uh, worked his way all the way up to the assistant chief of police in Norfolk, Virginia, which, you know, had a lot of crime back in the day. And, you know, it's funny. And I, I actually told this story to David and he laughed because I, I interviewed Ron and, and his wife at their, ho- at their home in Virginia, uh, you know, this was right when I was at the beginning of the process. And then a few months later, I called Ron uh, just to follow up on a couple of things, flesh out a couple more details. And we wound up talking for well over an hour. And it was fascinating stuff. And he was telling me about, you know, his days on the force and drug busts that they did and, and things that were looking back or very dangerous <laughs> police work. And he didn't even necessarily realize it at the time or maybe blocked it out in his mind at the time but um, this was this was really important and heavy stuff that he was doing and as a result you know he was a strict guy you know he saw a lot of the ills in the world and he wanted to make sure that his sons did not go down any of those paths so there was no you know there was no wiggle room in a lot of uh, you know the things that David could do growing up um, he grew up in a very strict upbringing and as a result, you know, he, you know, I think that's a big portion why he was able to succeed because he, he will be the first to tell you that David Wright was never the biggest, the fastest, the strongest. Uh, you know, he had doubts coming all the way up or you know, along the ladder, even as a first round draft pick. you know, wondering if he belonged, seeing guys like Jose Reyes, who were so athletically gifted and talented and, and feeling like he didn't belong. Uh, but, that strictness that he grew up with and, and that attention to detail and all that's the, the value of hard work, the blue collar mentality that David finds so valuable. Those are the things that he used to kind of work himself into being on par with those super talented first round prospects.
1: Yeah. Is there like one favorite nugget you found in the research, the story for, that you were doing? Cause for me, I think one of the things that made me laugh when I read it was the part where he met, he most the rookie ball and, he has a four o'clock workout, he shows up at three fifty thinking, Oh, I'm ten minutes early, I'm good, and then all the guys are chewing him out saying, Hey, you gotta be more dedication. Stuff like that's cool or fine. That's stuff you don't always just hear about, like in the right like the realms of the internet.
3: Yeah, I, I tried to sprinkle some fun little things like that in. Um, you know, there's another example very early in his career, the first couple of weeks of his career, the Mets took a road trip to Montreal and he showed up to the ballpark wearing flip-flops, which, you know, to you or I might seem like, okay, whatever. But that's a a, a breach of MLB code of clubhouse etiquette. You don't do that. You dress nicely when you come to and from the the clubhouse on the road. So um, things like that, uh, stories about, you know, going to a a Montreal karaoke bar with, you know, Mike Piazza and other veterans on the team, Uh, lots of funny stuff. I think one of the things in that regard that surprised me, which, and kudos to David for keeping this under wraps because I didn't really know about it all that much when I was, you know, when David was an active player and I had never heard it really reported elsewhere. But he's kind of a legendary prankster and did did a lot of things to to a lot of people over the years. And and David will be the first to say he's one of those guys that if he if he messes with you, that's how you know that he likes you. You know, that's it's like a, his way of showing love is to go and take all the tires off your car and hide them around a baseball stadium. Like that's his way of, of, of saying, I love you. So there, there is lots of, uh, we, we devoted a little section of some of his better pranks over the years. Um, and he's got some targets in the met organization that he hit up quite a few times, but yeah, I was surprised. I didn't realize how prolific he was at the prank game.
1: Yeah. It was definitely a lot of fun. One of my favorite parts of the book. I also like seeing the relationships. he has some of his teammates, like, and obviously the one that stuck out to me the most was like, when he first got up his relationship with Joe McEwing, the utility infielder of the Mets at the time, and he took him under his wing and how, like, he wanted to sort of follow McEwing's example. He was shocked when the Mets cut McEwing the following spring. So, like, talk a little bit about that relationship. Yeah, it
3: was almost, a, you know, in a sense, like a father-son relationship. Um, you know, Joe McEwing was, he was not the talent that David was, but he was very much the same personality that David was in that he made the most of, what he, of his physical gifts. He worked three times as hard as the next person because that was the only way he was going to make it. And David, from a very young age, identified that and related to it. And, you know, Joe, I think in turn, did the same and took him under his wing. And, you know, David's first season in New York, those two were absolutely inseparable. I mean, David would go over weekends and have dinner with Joe McEwing and his wife. Um, You know, I, I remember distinctly going... And, uh, we were, you know, the Mets were in Chicago playing the White Sox at the, I guess this was the 2019 trade deadline and I, you know, blocked out some time and got in contact with Joe McEwen as a White Sox coach and, and, you know, said, can I talk to you about David? And he, he replied, David's my guy, anything for my guy. And, you know, we had a great conversation and, and Joe was almost tearing up at points talking about David. That's how much they cared about each other. Um. So, yeah, so when when the following spring, when Joe McEwing was released from the Mets, uh, you know, for those who follow the team or cover the team, I think it wasn't a a huge surprise. You know, this was a guy who wasn't necessarily a fit, a roster fit anymore for a team that was really starting to get competitive and sign, you know, super uber all-stars like Carlos Beltran and Carlos Delgado. Um, There wasn't really a place for Joe McEwing anymore, but in David's eyes, it was like, this is my guy. How, how could the Mets possibly get rid of the guy? How could anything bad happen to, you know, someone that I'm close with? And uh, I think on some level as a player, you're always aware that you, know, you hear all the time, the cliche, well, baseball's a business, baseball's a business. And players get that, but until it affects them personally, you don't really realize what that means. And, and Joe McGeevan getting cut was the first time that David really got that that shock of, oh, this really is a cold-blooded business. And it doesn't matter how good a guy you are. You know, if you don't fit in the team's plan, you might not be there. So that one hurt. That one hurt and, and was kind of a prelude to other ones along the way, whether that was Jose Reyes, you know, not being re-signed or Willie Randolph getting fired. I mean, guys that meant a lot to David in his career didn't stick around for the whole thing. And I think every time it, it's a little bit of a shock when
4: something like that happens.
1: Yeah, it definitely is. And it was also interesting seeing David go through the three most, probably three of the more memorable years of his career, 2006, 07, 08. 06, he admits, like, you know, like, oh, I thought I was going to be here every year. Then the, he sort of differences between the differences of the collapses of 07, 08. So 07 was a collapse. 08 was sort of just didn't have enough bullets in the tank. Like, what was it like going through those three years with him?
3: Yeah, I, I think that's exactly it. And I think people, people, myself included, tend to lump 2007 and 2008 together as Mets collapses. Um, even though it wasn't necessarily as big as, as seven games up with 17 to go, it was still you know one the Mets more or less had in the bag and weren't able to finish. But David looked at it very much differently, and that did surprise me a little bit. He looked at 2007 as this was a World Series caliber team. This was you know as talented as any team the Mets have had, uh, certainly this century. and they just flat out couldn't get it done and they pressed and they you know failed plain and simple 2008 was much more in, in David's eyes. It was much more a team running on fumes, a team that had major injury issues. Uh, and then other teams coming up like the brewers, for example, and Susie Sabazia pitching out of his mind down the stretch that year to bring the, the brewers to the playoffs. Um, that wasn't one that he looks back at and says, Oh, if only we had done this differently, if only we had done this, done this differently, you know, things could have changed. Um, 2007, much different. 2007 was the one he regrets. That was, you know, a world-class team that just for whatever reason, and, and he still can't quite explain it today for whatever reason, couldn't get it done.
1: Yeah, and obviously that stuff is memorable for him. I feel like also like the middle part of his career from like 2009 to about 2013 kind of gets forgotten about and all the David Wright stuff because you had the early success, the collapses and the spinal stuff. But I think that's sort of the more interesting parts of the book, including, I, I thought this caught my attention. It was when he was talking about when City Field up in 2009, he hit only 10 home runs the first year and he said that got in his head and he spent the whole obviously trying to bulk up and he realized, yeah, I hit more homers, my average went down. Can you talk a little bit about that, about like how he sort of admits like, hey, like I was trying too hard to just be a homer guy?
3: Yeah, 100%. And I think that's one of the more general regrets that he's had in his career is, is how he let City Field get into his head. Because David David was never, never thought of himself as a home run hitter and he had such a great swing and he used you know, the right side, right center field so well as a right-handed hitter. Um, and that was his power alley and a ton of doubles. You know, you get some triples out of that. And yes, the ball's went over the wall and he had a couple of 30 homer seasons there early in his career and uh, got a little homer happy. And then when City Field opened and it was just death on right-handed hitters, on all hitters, but especially on right-handed hitters, uh, he did let that get into his head. In his mind, the way to combat that was, was to bulk up, to get as strong as he possibly could and to try and hit balls 500 feet over the wall. And it just wasn't possible. You know, looking back, I think he would have done two things differently. One, he would have said, I don't need to hit home runs to help this team. I can use these gigantic gaps in City field to become a better pure hitter, to become a doubles gap guy who can hit well over 300 with, you know, with decent power, but not necessarily with 25, 30 home runs a year. And the other part of that is, is, you know looking back now and 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 this this part isn't necessarily David's fault but you know the thinking at the time was still very much to hit home runs you need to get big and it wasn't about what we see today in terms of uh even power hitters trying to be trying to improve their flexibility their pliability worrying you know thinking about mechanics and launch angle and things like that 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 realistically have a bigger impact on power hitting than just being as big and strong as, as humanly possible this was still very much the you know, the chick dig the long ball kind of bulking up mentality. And David fell victim to it a little bit and, you know, hurt himself a little bit. And to his credit, was able to get out of it and still had some, some fine years after that. Um, some all-star years after that until the injuries really started to to get in the way in, in 2015 and later. But um, it was a struggle. It was a battle. And City Field was definitely something that David had to overcome.
1: Yeah, I, I'll touch on the injuries in a second, but one one thing I want to get to real quick. Obviously, the contract negotiations. He talks about when he got the chance to sign the extension in 2012, and how he made it clear, he was like, I never wanted to leave. And there were rumors out there that oh, maybe he'll hit the market, maybe he'll just get out because the situation wasn't going well. It was cool getting inside of his conversation with Sandy Alderson, because he mentioned at the press conference. Oh, Sandy has this plan. He basically said Sandy laid the plan out for me. He told me about Jacob Degrom, who was not a heralded guy at the time. All the pitching arms we had, his plan to add in guys like Kirby Granderson. I thought it was pretty cool, but, like, Sandy had that vision, and that was what sold Dave around staying.
3: Well, what's interesting, too, is, you know, David was David was the New York Mets. You know, he he obviously had a great relationship with ownership, with the Wilpons. Uh, he was the guy that the Mets wanted to build around. And in and, and some corners of his brain, he knew that, of course. But there was also this idea that, okay, Sandy Alderson's coming in here, I know about Sandy Alderson's reputation as a as a legendary general manager um, but I don't know Sandy Alderson and Sandy Alderson doesn't know me and as much as I want to be a met for life you know this guy might be coming in here with orders to trim payroll and orders to do this do that and you know it just might not be possible so there was an intimidation factor there of you know kind of that I think that anyone has when they have a new boss that they don't know coming in and you're trying to establish this relationship and you're worried about your own future and then Sandy Alderson shows up that winter in Virginia to play around to golf with David, and it was just the most natural relationship on earth. And that day really, you know, as you'll read in the book, that day really put David's mind at ease. So that was, yeah, that was such an important thing for David. And if you ask him about his, you know, what he's most proud of of his career, you know, he'll tell you, realistically, he'll tell you three things. He'll tell you, you know, making the World Series was such a goal and something that he was so proud to do. Um, becoming the Mets captain was probably the biggest honor he ever had. And spending his entire career with one team with the Mets was, was that important to him. So the fact that uh, Sandy Alderson allowed him to do that was, was huge for him.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And obviously he, the big thing that changed right career is the spinal stenosis diagnosis in 15. And obviously he saw bits of this going on. We heard, oh, rehab, all these exercises, Dave really goes into the full routine with the dead, uh, with the dead bugs and all of the stretches he had to do before games. The amount of work he had to do just to get ready for one baseball game was just truly remarkable. And knowing that he was having to spend get to the road parks eleven a.m. to be ready in time for like a five o'clock game was insane.
3: Yeah, and that's something that I you know really pressed him on when we were doing the reporting. Is like,
1: actually tell me really what you were going through because
3: uh, I'm like you. You know, I thought I, I reported on it at the time, but. I don't think, and I knew at the time that I didn't know, like how much I didn't know, but I didn't know what David was really going through on a daily, day-to-day basis because he's not the kind of guy who's going to complain. He's not the kind of guy who's going to say, oh, well, with me, I'm I'm doing two-a-day physical therapy sessions and, and this and that, um, and my back hurts every single day. Uh, you know, he's just never going to go there. So it was eye-opening to me to see really truly what he was going through and how much he was putting in, um, you know, flying out there to LA, really with an open-ended plane ticket, having no idea when or if he would ever make it back, you know, staying at a hotel, staying at an Airbnb, getting kicked out because the wedding clock was coming in, trying to find someplace that would take a reservation that, you know, with no end date, you know, it was, it was an interesting time. And given the nature of his injury, a degenerative back condition, I think a lot of players would have said, you know what? Okay. I tried, you know, I'm, I'm good. And he never had that mindset. His mindset was always very much the opposite that I never want to have a single regret in terms of I've reached the end of my career and I look back and I could have done more work or I could have done something differently or I could have, you know, gone a tiny bit further just in the hopes of, of maybe making it back or, or, or making the playoffs again or helping in any little way you know he wanted to do everything possible and overturn every single stone and that's what you see in those final chapters and I, I've i been told they can be a little a little painful to read which is kind of what I was going for but I, I totally understand it from a Mets fans perspective because it was a lot that he put himself through.
1: Yeah, it was definitely very painful. Sort of my last question, because obviously we had we saw the end coming, and he admits in, in year 17, 18, like it was just so much painful for him to even times just get in the car and go for a drive, let alone be ready go on the baseball field. We see the decision sort of leading up to, oh, we're going to have this one last game so I can play in front of my daughter's one time, and... Can you talk a little bit about, that, about the end here with David Wright? Because I admit, like, I was somebody who was at that game on David Wright night at so City Field. That was such a magical moment. I feel like not many players in New York get that kind of opportunity that David did to go out like that.
3: Yeah, and that was you know, I think it it it, it took a mental leap for David to finally get to the point where his mind caught up to his body and saying, okay I'm done. Um, because his body was there first, and, and he was done but David didn't want to admit it to himself. And then you know, he finally did on and out. He had a one last gas minor league rehab assignment, realized he couldn't do it. And then, you know, his kind of his final request for the Mets was, you know, I've done all this work. I've gotten my body into the shape where I can kind of go out to the field. Like, I don't want to lose this moment. I want to at least have one last try at going out there and, and saying goodbye essentially. And that's what that last, that's that final game was about was about saying goodbye. So it was, it was important to David. It was something that the Mets were obviously willing to do for a, a player who meant as much to the franchise as, as probably anyone else has ever played in in Queens. So it was. I mean, you, like you said, you were there. It, it, it's almost hard to describe in terms of the emotions of that night, the drama of that night. It certainly, as someone who's who's covered the, the Mets for what thirteen, fourteen years now, it, it sticks out to me. Unlike pretty much any other night I've, I've covered. So imagine what it meant to David, you know, because it was all about him and, and a guy who, who never wanted things to be all about him kind of let his guard down for one night and took it in and allowed, allowed people to make it about him. And that's so against his nature, but he did it anyway. And as a result, he has this amazing memory that quite frankly, almost no one, ever gets. I mean, very few players get to go out on their own terms in any way. And David wouldn't tell you that he went out on his own terms, but given the circumstances in that small way he did, he was able to have a little bit of closure to his career, have a little bit of closure to the injury situation, say goodbye to a fan base that meant so much to him. You know, those were all things that happened on that final night and that's what made it so special.
1: It definitely was very special. The book itself, very special. The Captain, written by our guest today, Anthony DeComo. Anthony, thanks for all the time there. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, I'll be following on social media and get themselves a copy of The Captain.
3: Yeah, um, there's a link on my on my Twitter, a, at Anthony DeComo, D-I-C-O-M-O, um, or you can buy The Captain with David Wright at uh, basically anywhere books are sold, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. I always encourage people to go check out their local bookstores, um, which should have copies as well. So check it out. I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, hopefully it does justice to what really was a, an inspiring career.
1: It really does. I, I, I read the book. I really enjoy it. I recommend it to all the listeners out here. Anthony, thanks for all the time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. All right. And there you have it. That was Anthony DeComo, the author of The Captain, the David Wright memoir. I highly recommend reading the book. I'll put a link to, the book in the show notes as well. So you can check that out. And if you're a Mets fan, it's a good read. If you're a New York baseball fan, it's a good read. Make sure you check out that book. Up next, we're going to go to the clip show part of this. We're going to take a trip down memory lane for the year of 2020 in the podcast. We'll be joined by our unofficial co-host, Will Schneiderhan, right after this. All right, we are back here. Holiday special time on the podcast. You just heard from Anthony Decomo, the author of The Captain, the David Wright biography, uh, his big league career. Join me today now for the next part of the show where we take a trip through the year and some of the most memorable moments of the podcast in 2020. The I'm going call this podcast, big Met fan himself, Will Schneierham. Will, welcome back. How are you?
5: Great, man. Happy to be back. Happy to be a Mets fan.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah year two us doing the holiday special. I gotta say let's, like the David Wright book was definitely a lot of fun.
5: I'm excited to read it. I have not read it. I admit it. Big Mets fan I have not read it yet, but I am excited to read it. and of course, to uh, a nice sell on that. so getting excited to to break into it.
1: yeah, great, great job. I have you come earlier talking about that. and now we're gonna have some fun. We're gonna take a trip down memory lane for twenty twenty. so I pulled some clips from the year. Of us going through the the, the uh, year, we did this a year ago. We kind of bounced around this year. We're gonna kind of go in chronological order because I feel like this year sort of has a journey. Because obviously we had <laughs> we had this months without so,
5: sports, just sorta, right?
1: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we had. I mean, January, February, pretty normal. We lost a bunch of months along the way. We're still not back in normal. We do have some sports along the way, but there is podcast the entire year, so a lot of fun stuff going on here. Let's yep, yep, love it. Right? Are you ready for our first destination? let's do it yeah we start out actually back in january and can you believe that this was this year that Derek G was elected to the hall of fame this year you remember that
5: Jeez. i remember it. it felt like it was about five years ago though
1: <laughs> it does we because obviously because of the pandemic we couldn't get him inducted into the into the ceremony this fall he's gonna get pushed back till next year with a big with a potentially bigger class maybe not but I had Rick Serrano on the podcast in episode 95. We talked some Derek Jeter stories. He had this interesting one to talk about. The time that the Yankees almost replaced Derek Jeter before he even got started. Let's listen to Rick talk about that.
6: Jeter, in my opinion, was, was planned to be the shortstop for the 96 Yankees. And what I remember is, I remember Joe Torre coming back from like an organizational spring training meeting up in the conference room in brand new Legends Field. And he came into his office where I was sitting there waiting for him. I knew it would be a three-hour meeting or something. So now I'm waiting in his office. And he came down and he kind of, you know, with a pained look on his face, dropped his binder onto his desk and, like, shaking his head. And I said, what's up? Because would you believe what so-and-so just said up in this meeting? Now, this is one of Steinbrenner's inner circle uh, of, you know, former GMs, scouts, pitching coaches. He had a whole, you know, cabinet of people that would be in spring training. he said, you know, he just said, we can't win with this kid Jeter at short. We got to go out and get a shortstop. And then for a while, there was that talk of that they were trying to get Felix Fermin, who was one of my guys in Pittsburgh, and I think now was with the Mariners, to play shortstop. And the name being bandied about was Mariano Rivera. So (laughs) thankfully, Jeter was the opening day shortstop. We did not trade Mariano Rivera. And the rest, as they say, is history.
1: Can you imagine if the Yankees had traded away Mariano Rivera to replace Derek Cheater?
5: That is, yeah. It would not, I mean, think of what the Yankees would be, right? <laughs> like, what the, what, honestly, I can't even imagine that. I can't, I can't even think of that. That's all I know. Those are the Yankees, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think things are going to turn out differently. Felix Vermeen was the shortstop. Mariano Rivera was closing for the Pirates.
5: <laughs> uh, <laughs>
1: Do you think it even would have
5: worked, right? Like, there's no way Mariano Rivera goes and does the great things he does with the Pirates. It had to be with the Yankees.
1: <laughs> oh, it absolutely had to be with the Yankees. And there's definitely a fun time. Check out Rick's memories of Derek G, or episode 95, if you want to go back to January. I think now we'll go ahead a little bit. We'll go to February. We'll go to the Super Bowl. We'll go to the recap. I usually do this with Joe Dallowizio every year. So, episode 97, we did our recap. The game itself was fun. But I did share quite an interesting party story with Joe because I don't know if you were aware, but you have to call it the party fouls when you see them, correct? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I found one at my Super party. I shared it with Joe. Let's hear from episode ninety seven the story of the party foul. Okay, I do want to discuss some poor party behavior at my party. Uh oh. I will not name names. No name dropping. No name dropping. But the people at the party know who this is. So everybody who's listening to the party will know exactly who I'm describing here. So there's this one guy. Came with his girlfriend. And this is a party where the house rule basically is like, once you get in, no shoes. Because like, you can like, don't, don't want the shoes on the carpet. So, oh, that's totally normal rule. That, yes, totally normal rule. So we all have the shoes off. Leave them the, at the stairwell as we're going in. But they go at the front. The girlfriend of the guy takes the socks off and he is giving her a full-on, like, foot rub in the middle of the game in front of everybody. Oh, no, no. <laughs> no, exactly. No, so the girlfriend is getting a foot massage in the middle of the second quarter? Like, in the, like basically throughout the game. Oh, no, no, no. And this is, I, 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 like, literally, the <laughs> like, way right we describe it is, like, the TV's over here, like, in the front of the room. They're off to, like, front, like, left of the TV, like, on chairs in the dining room area. And the rest of us all have to see this. I'm like, this is not okay. That's a party foul. That's a that's a party foul to the point
7: where if I am uh, the host of the party, I stand up, put the game on pause, and say, this has to change immediately. Or you're leaving. Or you're leaving. Yeah. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. I was supp- you have the authority to do that, 100%. What do you think about that, Will? <laughs> is that even a party foul? That's just not
5: right. Just get the heck out. Yeah. <laughs> like, ha- what is that? That's not even that, that extreme. The, even the uh, what realm of a party foul like at least a party foul is like kind of like you were you were like operating within the framework of like what was going on like oh what the hell is that no way that's like not even you do that in front of people yeah <laughs> no no
1: I don't like that I'm a, I was uncomfortable listening the whole time I'll be honest yeah I was you were up the listing I was there
5: <laughs> yeah, good for you for for sitting there.
1: Oh, there's no way. I, I, can't, I can't even think about that. Hey, I, the way I say it is this. is like, I obviously was a fair. I did not name names because it's not my place to name names. But, like, again, you were there. You know who who this was. You know who you are if you were end up listening to this. And I'm saying that's bullshit. No offense. <laughs> I, I got to tell you, that's uh, – I, I might have to get off the phone. I can't <laughs>
5: Dude, I gotta tell you, when you started that audio, I was like, oh, maybe someone built something or something. My God, what the hell is going on at that party?
1: Yeah, in the words uh, of, our, of our good friend Vince. What the hell's going on out here? Oh, man. No, that is, yeah.
5: No, no way. I, I can't even discuss. I can't think about
1: that. Yeah, we did.
5: Yeah. I keep laughing. Oh.
1: Yeah, one of those, it's just so memorable. Like I have to include this. This is just something that people have to remember <laughs> happened.
5: Oh, trust me, I won't forget. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, you speaking of something else you won't forget. This is actually next time we're going to episode number one hundred. You were on this episode as well. You were the you hosted the first segment we talked about football, but the guest of the day was Damon Amendola from CBS Sports where you remember that episode? Yes. Yeah. I went back and listened to some of that, and D.A. did have a prophetic statement about the Yankees, and this is something that happened back in February, before the back in spring training, not even getting to summer camp, but this was D.A.'s take on the Yankees. This was coming right as they were getting all these injuries. Aaron Judge has gotten hurt. We had James Paxton hurt, Severino hurt. Here's what D.A. had to say.
4: I mean, last year, the Yankees were absolutely ravaged by injuries and finally getting everybody back after an offseason, ready to go was going to be, you know, the real Yankees. And instead, Paxton going down, Severino going down, Judge, which at least Judge feels like it's day to day, but with the starting pitching of Paxton and Severino, that puts an enormous amount of pressure on Garrett Cole. Brian Cashman's proven that he can build a roster that can sustain, just like last year, they got to the World Series despite all those injuries. But before spring trading even starts to have two of your best starters, already lost for a period of time it's really scary. And I agree with you. It kind of feels like, wow, is this going to happen again to them?
1: And it did happen to them again to them. They, they were just wrecked by injuries this year.
5: Yeah, it's like, uh, I'm just like obviously unfortunate.
1: Like, what do you do? You know,
5: there's no voting at fault to that. But um, I, I was actually thinking about this earlier with Garrett Cole. I was talking to a friend about this, where it was like, the Yankees had to do that signing, absolutely. But yeah, it's just it kind of feels like a lot of pressure on him. But of course, there's always pressure when you play for the Yankees. And um, I just I think some of it there's like a lot of contingencies and question marks now. And that's just because you know, like who thinks that Judge is going to miss all this time with injury? Torres is going to miss all this time with injury. Stans is miss all this time with injury. Severino list goes on and on. Right? Like it's so you can never project that. So it it just. All of a sudden, like all that, a lot of optimism around the Yankees that was there after that seventeen run. Suddenly, you're kind of like, "All right, uh, what's going on? Where do they go? Where do they turn? How do they get better?" And it's definitely something to keep an eye on. Like, I there's a the Yankees also. With that being said, with the guys coming back healthy that are already on the roster, they can also just go win 105 and you know go to the World Series at the same time.
1: Yeah, right now, we don't know what's going on with the Yankees last season. It's going to be a little quieter for them than usual because of the pandemic. Well, I think it's our only Yankee clip aside from, aside from the Jeter one, so we're going to stay away from them for a little bit. Let's go to the next week, 101, one of the, like basically one of the last episodes before the pandemic. We did do college basketball episode with Zach Braziller, but the story here was, I don't know if you're a big, are you a big courier enthusiasm guy? Uh, not honestly, I've never really watched it. I'll be honest. I, I know it's highly rated. I haven't gotten into it. Well, there is one episode you should check out. It aired this week. I broke it down with Martino Puccio. This was about the New York Jets. Oh, gosh. <laughs> and their attachment to one of Larry David's friends named Carl, who oh, we yeah. find out suffered a tragic fate because of the Jets. <laughs> I talked about this with Martina Puccio in 101, so here we go. My goodness, the Jets killed him
8: yeah um (laughs) i yeah i mean look i I was cracking up when i mean it's it's a horrible thing that like happened within the show but it's just so like so funny it's absolutely like unbelievable like i would just it honestly perfectly encapsulates everything it's like to be a jets fan that there's just so many situations that you could point to over the course of time that they don't they don't make your life better, you know? Like watching the Jets on Sunday isn't enjoyable. It's not something that you really look forward to because there's a, there's lots of difference, yeah, and, and I also like the reference to the Knicks a little bit. That was pretty funny.
1: I feel like that pretty much sums up what's like to be a Jet fan, because that poor fan Carl got himself so worked up about the Jets losing, he ends up dying and then we spend the whole episode learning like making references to things like Austin's ferry and Jenkins, fumbling through the end zone. It was just perfect like jet material for you.
5: Yeah, it's just it's been tough, fun as a Jets fan, man. It really has. Um, I actually have seen clips from that. I know that. I, I saw some stuff from that scene. But um, yeah, if you're a diehard fan, man, I'm sure like, it's just. It's it's what? When did the last one the championship AFC championship game? 2011, 2010? Yeah,
1: 2010.
5: Uh yeah, just uh, a lot of cycling personnel, coaches, and stuff through. So yeah, I mean. If you're into it and you're, you're investing that much time into it, it has not paid off to, to this point. But, hey, I'm optimistic. you got to be optimistic. That's what keeps you alive, the optimism, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, well, hopefully we're being optimistic that we get the number one draft pick, and Trevor Lawrence is here in a couple of weeks. So we still have to see. A couple more games to go.
5: There's a, yeah, listen, there's a lot of good things that can happen it's literally just in a year. So I, I'm excited to see where this thing goes.
1: Yeah, and obviously this is right before the pandemic hits. Pandemic hits, all the sports go away. So this is in March. I was planning to do a whole sleigh of March Madness shows, but one thing that's insane was we did get the NFL free agency period. We had some crazy stuff happening in there. Yes. Yeah. Do you remember the craziest thing of that of that first week of NFL free agency?
5: I I'll be honest with you. Hell no. Yeah. I, <laughs> I don't even remember that far back.
1: Yeah. Yeah, well. There was a coach in Houston named Bill O'Brien, and he did something uh, okay, very stupid. Okay, okay,
5: okay. Get okay. jogged by memory.
1: Yeah, <laughs> he did something very stupid. I had our, our good, our our uh, mutual uh, coworker Matt Matt Verderan from Fanside, on doing an NFL free agency preview. He shared some thoughts on Bill O'Brien making this trade. So <laughs> let's listen to Matt talk about the DeAndre Hopkins trade.
4: Look, you don't trade DeAndre Hopkins, first of all, ever. Okay, 27, he's a three-time All-Pro. He's on a, on a very palatable contract for how good he is. Um this guy's a same-level awesome player. And they traded him for a second-rounder and a swap of fourth-round picks. I, I just, that makes beyond no sense. I mean, it's just, honestly, it was so bad that when it happened on Monday, you know, the trade couldn't become official to the new league year on Wednesday. I thought that ownership would step in and tell him, you are not making this trade. This is this is insane. We can't do this, but they did
1: it. it. Yeah, they did it, and it did not work out very well for Bill O'Brien. No, nah, and
5: Matt's like, right. dude, you never. I and Martino. I think we've had this discussion with Martino uh, in our in our um, group gotcha. chat. Like NFL trades, you don't ever get. You never do that. First of all, like, okay, maybe you trade DeAndre Hopkins when he's thirty-one in the contract's getting a little bad or something like. that. I mean, I dude. You're never going to get value in a trade. I absolutely understand that, but this trick, like, what do you get back with David? David Johnson? No, no I, listen, I'm not trying to be a, be mean about the guy. He's probably a great guy, but oh my gosh, he's past it. Yeah. And, and and not to mention, you have you're your, a guy who you think is going to be the future quarterback, and you take away a wide receiver. <laughs> it's like hey, Patrick Mahomes, this guy Tyreek Hill. Yeah, no, forget about it. We'll trade him for a second rounder. <laughs> Trust me, it's all good. You'll be fine.
1: <laughs> yeah, and, and we know we we know what happened to Bill O'Brien. Now, if
4: you're getting ready yeah. for work right now, then you're probably not done Bill O'Brien. Chicago Bulls head coach was fired in surprise <laughs> <book> yesterday.
1: Uh, <laughs> yeah, you got yeah yeah, I yeah, yeah. So he was the first coach to get fired this season. I think well deserved. <laughs>
5: Uh, it was, uh, I mean, even before the Hopkins trade, yeah, that, that was probably a little bit overdue.
1: <laughs> definitely was a little bit overdue. And speaking of coaches who are probably a little overdue to get fired, we have to talk about our team a little bit. I did speak, we go ahead to later in the month, later in April. We're now in April. We're getting ready for the NFL draft and stuff. I had Brian Costello from the New York Post on about talking about the Jets. I asked him about Adam Gaze. What was the most important thing for Adam Gase this year? Here's what Brian had to say, and we'll judge how this went.
8: To me, the biggest thing for Adam in year two is Sam Darnold. Like, Sam Darnold has to show proof. That's where Adam has to make the biggest move. Uh, I think, you know, he was rolling, you know, to help them along and help the offense, the offense is 30 seconds last year. They had a lot of injuries, like we talked about before, but they still should have been better than 30 seconds. So he's got to make this offense jump. And I think the biggest thing is Sam. And so if he does that, you know, I think he's back for year three.
1: Well, I don't think he's done that. Yeah, it, it's
5: just um, my my thing is that like, I'm bummed with just with Sam Darnold in general. It's just that, like he just can't stay healthy. And um, you just tell, like, I, I was thinking about this the other day when I was just kind of like watching the Jets and stuff. And I mean, how many like actually fully healthy games that Sam Darnold, I'm not saying this in defense of anybody, just a thought in general, since he's not around the topic. Like, how many, like, actually fully healthy games do you think this guy's ever played? Like, I don't think he's even played one this year. I think that shoulder's been bugging him, which he should have never been put back in that game. I mean, listen, that's not helping your quarterback. Mm -hmm. Um, His rookie year, he had, what, the ankle or whatever it was? Like, and then the mono. I mean, (laughs) it's just such a bummer that we're never going to see, one, this guy be put in a position. Or maybe, maybe we'll never see this guy be put in a position to really succeed. And the guy's all, its just—it's just such a bummer that he's hurt. Like I was so excited when we got him, and it's just it's, every time you feel like he's ready to, to to take that next step, something happens to him. I, I just—it sucks. It,
1: it, <laughs> it really—it really does suck. I feel bad for Sam because he's gotten a very bad shake here, and Adam Gase did not do him any favors this year. We have this is not the last to hear about Adam Gase on this on this clip show, though. We will be talking about him again in a little while. <laughs> But we do want to go forward here. I, I think the one thing that saved us in the early portion of the pandemic was The Last Dance. And you, I think you agree with me. That was phenomenal. Yes. Very well done. Very well done. Yeah. And, like, throughout the, the last couple of weeks, I basically did episodes just on The Last Dance. We did recast of the episode. I had some guests on. to talk about Michael Jordan and the Bulls. Let's we'll go to our recap of episode number four uh, of episode seven and eight of The Last Dance. And we we got to talk about meeting a lot of these brilliant side characters, and as my friend Phil talking about the what could have been for one Le Bradford Smith.
9: About everything he was accomplishing, you know, he needed to keep himself motivated somehow, and even if it was something as little as Le Bradford Smith scoring thirty-seven points in a meaningless regular season game, um, he needed to he needed to keep things interesting, and he needed to keep challenging himself in different ways, and. I just, you know, like you said, poor LeBradford Smith. Who knows what this guy would have done? You know, Jordan has been known to ruin people's careers, you know, make them feel so little of themselves.
0: Think of, I don't know
9: if they brought up the Muggsy Book story. I don't think they have during this documentary. But I think everybody knows the Muggsy Book story during the playoffs when he had the chance of the game winning shot. Jordan leaves him wide open, and says, Shoot the ball, you effing midget. And then. Muggsy Bugs misses the shot, and, and he even says to this day he was never the same after that. So think about how Bradford Smith felt after all the trash Jordan was probably talking to him while he dismantled his team on the second game of that back-to-back.
1: Do you remember the real Bradford Smith story from, thir- from the last dance? Uh, vaguely. I'm actually like looking it up as we're doing this now because I can't remember that, that specific instance. Yeah, so what happened there is LeBradford Smith was on the Wizards at the – I think the Washington Bullets at the time they were called. So he had oh, one man. game where he scored 37 points on Michael Jordan. Oh, I see league. now, reading yeah. it,
5: yeah. <laughs> yeah, the,
1: the, the Bullets win the game. The next game, Michael Jordan completely destroys him. I think he holds him to like two points or something like that on a ridiculously low shooting percentage. And who never, who knows? Maybe LeBradford Smith goes on to become a regular NBA guy, and now he just washes out of the league because Jordan just completely buried him.
5: Yeah, talk about like a false confidence, right? Hey, man, I'm here. I just scored this 37 piece on Michael Jordan. I belong in the NBA, and uh, yeah, that'll definitely do it to you. <laughs> you get dismantled like that. That's just mean. That's mean spirited, man. That's not right.
1: <laughs> no, he just. I feel bad for him because he really got destroyed on that. That was not fair. No, that is that that is that is mean like mean stuff. <laughs> It is, and the best part was of that last dance character. Is I was able to get on some interesting people. I had, and by the way, LeBraffer says episode 111, Costello 106. We go for the next week because I had people on covering the Bulls, talking about the Bills and Knicks and stuff like that. I got the man himself. I got Sam Smith, the guy who wrote the Jordan Rules. He was on the podcast talking about the last couple of years of the Jordan run. That was definitely a fun conversation. Do you also, do you remember the controversy that came out of the last episode of the last dance about the flu game?
5: Oh, uh, the pizza or the yeah. is it pizza or is, yeah. where is he hungover? <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. So basically, we all know the story of, of the 97 finals. Jordan gets the flu in game four, and then we he plays and has spectacular. We heard, oh, it was the flu. Jordan in The Last Dance claims that no, he has ate spiked pizza because he will spit on it. He got sick. Sam Smith had his own theory about what was going on there. So let's check out what Sam Smith had to say in episode 112 talking about
10: the flu game, see what his thought was. You know, it clearly was sick. I'll tell you something that nobody knows. They don't talk about much, so that, that'll be your little news item for me. Um I think what what it was was altitude sickness. You know, because they that's what the symptoms he had. It didn't sound that great. You know, and they sort of uh, cast it off as the flu. Uh, but he was ill. But but the team was wasn't staying in Salt Lake City, which was a valley. It's in a valley. They were staying up in one of the ski resorts in Park City and at a much higher altitude. And they kept coming back and forth to practices and going back up to this resort. So they had have the private privacy, you know, and there's been a lot of conspiracies about this as well. You know, some, you know, waiters uh, poisoned them with bad pizzas, <laughs> Been a lot of stuff, but I think that's what it was. Like, I, I, I you know, cause the symptoms he had seemed like that now, me not being a medical professional I can guarantee it but he clearly was ill, I remember before the game, they were talking about him not playing.
1: What do you think about Sam Smith's theory here about the all-too-sickness? So I actually have I, I remember um,
5: <clears throat> Michael Kay, there talking about this on his show and that theory did come up a bunch of times and I actually do think like that is perhaps probably the most likely one of, you know, like that makes a lot of sense, I'll be honest. I, I love conspiracy theories but this one just like like, to me, like, it, after I heard that, that it's not the flu game. That's what it was. It was altitude sickness. And I know, like, I know, you know, I Denver Broncos have, like, some absurd record at home, like, within the first four weeks of a season or something like that because, yeah. like, teams just start the season. They go up, they go to Denver, and they just get blown off the bat because of the altitude. Like, that's definitely, like, 1,000% a real thing. So I do not...
1: Especially how he he just said how they're going down and off for practice and stuff. Like I bet you that that'll do it. That will definitely do it. Yeah, I I agree with Sam here personally because I I, I feel that the flute the uh, pizza thing was just like them trying to be dramatic for the narrative. We heard the several of the pizza companies come and say no 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 wait we I, I was a bullshit, I made sure the pizza was fine. A couple guys tag longs they wanted to get a glimpse of Jordan. I think it was altitude sickness. It's just not sexy to say altitude sickness in a documentary.
5: Yeah, the uh, the altitude sickness game doesn't seem to have the same uh, ring to it as uh, the flu game, <laughs> or the food poisoning game. Yeah, definitely.
1: Yeah, definitely. And then, like, this is also part of like my thing here. Where I started doing pop culture stuff to try and help fill the gaps here. You remember the one time you actually helped me with a pop culture a bit, you and Anthony? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. When we we took a look at. Obviously, ESPN did a run of 30 for 30s there, starting with The Last Dance. They did the Lance Armstrong one. They did they did the Bruce Lee one. And then we watched something. It was something. We watched Long Gone Summer in episode 117, the recap of the Maguire-Sosa home run chase. This is with you, me, Anthony Sarbalini, the baseball beat. Here are our initial thoughts on Long Gone Summer. All right? You can get out if you actually want to watch this thing, but... Boy, this was bad. No. <laughs> it,
5: was, uh, it was it was bad. It was it was terrible. Uh, it was just I mean halfway through it I felt bad that I thought it was bad. Yeah. And then I was like, no, this sucks. This is just bad. I'm not the I'm I'm not the bad guy here. <laughs> for a 30 for 30, it's very shocking that that was what the final product was. I mean, like what what the heck was – like? Uh, listen, guys, so if, you're, if anybody's listening to this and they're still thinking about watching it, go, go on to... YouTube. Go on YouTube and just look up a montage because I'm sure there's one that exists of the home runs from that season between the two. Save yourself an hour and a half.
1: I think that was good advice, Will. <laughs>
5: I still stand by it. I don't like to be like over <laughs> – I still don't like to be, like, overtly rude and stuff like that. But I got to tell you, man, that I just, I love that story, and I wanted it to be good, and it just was not fun. It was so boring. Like I said, man, go on YouTube. You got, like, 15 minutes of the montage and go
1: all your day. (laughs) I also think, the thing that threw me off about that, I remember this, is, like, the fact that they were shooting games of, like, People wearing the modern jersey and trying to spin it off. It's like, oh, this is footage from the 90s of the crowd. Like, no, it's not. Yeah,
8: here's a few fans
5: of some Kyle Schwarber and Matt Carpenter jerseys. He's like, oh, that's weird. I don't remember him batting behind Mark McGuire.
1: Yeah, I think Kyle Schwarber was, what, like two years old when Mark McGuire was doing that?
5: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I I, I wasn't into it. uh, I'm sorry, I'm laughing Oh man, I must have not liked it a lot. What after that? How we have recorded that right after we watched that? I, I was I was human, apparently. Wow.
1: Yeah, we. Yeah, if you want, let's, let's take a dunk on that. Go back to one seventeen. That was when we talk. We talked a lot about the about that situation because it was not good.
5: Yeah, no, I I do remember. It. I I would not recommend that. Not recommend that.
1: Yeah, absolutely not. And. Another, and this is also in the build-up through, obviously, we ha- we go through the waivers issues, baseball gets back on track, we have summer camp, we had our previews of the Yankees and the Mets, the Mets one, I talked to Tim Healy from Newsday, and Tim Healy, this is also going to be a part of the program here, where we're starting to get in some interesting predictions that came true, here's what Tim Healy had to say about Dom Smith in episode 120.
5: Uh, he is among those who stand to benefit from the DH at bat and you know, like I said earlier, we'll see how that shakes out with Cespedes and whatnot. But he's absolutely one of those candidates right now. He's a first baseman, left fielder, pinch hitter type, uh, and uh, with probably some DH at bats thrown in. And when I say DH at bats, that might take the form of Pete Alonso DHing and Dom Smith playing first that day. Um, but the point is, our extra at bats to spread around, and I, I would expect Dom to get some of those because. He showed us last year that when he gets the chance, he can hit.
1: Yeah, I think Tim nailed that one. Uh, just a little bit. Just a little bit.
5: All Dom Smith did was, what, be like a borderline MVP?
2: <laughs>
5: yeah. yeah to, he was a... Uh...
1: He had $21 Go in ahead, 50 yes. games. That's absurd.
5: Yeah, and think of it. Uh, how many homers did he hit? Ten. So think of that. Like, that was, once he gets, like, a little more confident and stronger... Those doubles are homers. Some more, you know, singles that don't get the gap or doubles. Like, yeah, Dom Smith was a machine. And I actually have a pretty, like, interesting take. And I don't know if it's interesting or not, but I'll say it here. Like, I was saying to my buddies, I think, like, Dom, you look at Dom Smith and Pete Alonzo, Pete Alonzo is like the, you know, big homer guy, think yada, yada, yada. Like, like Dom, it, can we agree? Like, Dom Smith's definitely, like, the better hitter of the two, right? Like, all-round hitter, Dom Smith is most it's more dynamic. I think that's fair to say. If If I'm
1: wrong, tell me. I think it's a, I think he's a more complete hitter. Pete's more of a power yeah. hitter. Yeah, I think like,
5: I, I I genuinely see Dom as, like like a like a almost a better hitter. Like I that's what I'm trying to say. Like like, like yeah, Pete is your your homer guy. Pete is damn good. Do not get me wrong, not a player. I love Pete Alonso, but Dom just the, the stuff he does is like really exciting. Like he seems like he can handle the bat, goes the other way, does amazing things. I'm excited for what Dom Smith's going to do, as I am for Pete Alonso. So I'm not slandering Pete but Dom, I just there's so much to, to love about what he does at the plate and how he's developed after he was pretty much almost banished
1: at one point. Yeah, he was, and obviously, they, not a good year for the Mets. But we did have a good baseball year on the podcast. I had it. That was episode 120 with Tim Huey. Next episode 120 was our baseball preview. We actually, I to talk to Jason Stark on that one. That was a fun conversation.
5: Yes, I remember this. Yes,
1: yeah, and Jason Stark talked on this podcast. He he was he was awesome, he had some trivia, he had some fun things. He also had his thoughts on what he called the 2020 is going to be a season of weirdness. Let's see what Jason Stark meant about that.
2: Well, this is going to be a season of weirdness. There's there's no doubt about it. It's going to be the strangest season ever just because 60 games seems like a lot, but just in terms of baseball, um, so, so many aberrational things happen in 60-game windows. And you uh, know, e- Saris and I just wrote a piece in the Athletic a week or so ago looking at this kind of thing, right? And so we had some goofy predictions of stuff that theoretically could happen, like the Tigers win the World Series. The Yankees miss the playoffs. Somebody hits 400, maybe way over 400. And you'd think, come on, what do, you know, what have you been drinking? But I'll just give you an example, right? Like, how could the Tigers win the World Series? <laughs> That makes no sense, but let's think it through. Last year, we had a team that for most of the season played like a 108 lost team. That was the Colorado Rockies. But there was a 60-game stretch in that season in which they played like a... Let me, let me think about this. They went 37-23 and 23, if I remember right. And a team that goes 37-23 and 23 in a 60-game season, if you look at the projections, that's probably going to be a number one seed in the playoffs. <laughs> so you look at that team and you think, wow, this is the best team in baseball. But over the long haul, the marathon catches up with with teams like that. But there's no marathon now. So a team that gets on a roll and gets it going, anything could happen. And I hope it does.
1: Yeah, I feel like you could substitute the Marlins in there for the Tigers in terms of being that team. I feel like that a lot of weird stuff did happen this year.
5: Yeah, I mean, who thought the Marlins were gonna make the playoffs? <laughs> Let alone beat five hundred. But uh yeah, it was uh I'll put it this way, it was a fun season, but hopefully a season we never have to endure again. <laughs> I I don't a lot of fun things did happen, but I just uh not into it. Uh was fun to have baseball back, but let's be honest, like you said, it's just like Jason said, sixty games. It's it, I think I think he was
1: politely suggesting sixty games is a fluke. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that was a very polite way of Jason, of Jason to phrase that. <laughs> very much so. The one thing with the short season did help, though, was and it's also the same. I said you, uh, you, me, and Anthony, and on, on the base, I'll be did our baseball preview episode one twenty one. Like, if you listened to some of our picks and went to Vegas you could have made some cash.
5: Hey, yeah, man, dude. I gotta tell you. The Cy Young picks that he and I put together, I don't like to
1: puff my chest. But, wow. I tell you, I I, I thought that was pretty bold. I thought it was pretty bold, and they both paid off. Yeah, they both did. Let's start out with Mr. Sorbellini here and his prediction for the National League Cy Young. Because You and I both called Jacob the crown, but he went a different direction.
8: Yes, I want to make that same pick that Will just did with Jake, but... I'm gonna go a little bit of a different route. I'm gonna go with Trevor Bauer. I think you know he's gonna come out just literally just crazy with the Reds and you know they're gonna have a great season. He's just gonna carry
5: that team. Accurate. Uh one thousand <laughs> percent. No lies detective.
1: Yeah, that was number one. That's accurate pick number one. Accurate pick number two. We go to you. We had the other Cy Young in the American League because I believe this is sort of the opposite kind of deal where Anthony and I both took Garrett Cole. You went a different direction. This is what you did.
5: I'm going uh, I'm going Shane Bieber. I think he had a fantastic year last year. I, I think he's, you know, I don't think this guy's going to have sustained success for, you know, five, six years, but I do think he's going to have a great year for uh, for the Indians, and he was fantastic last year. I thought he was, uh, you know, another guy who I don't think gets his due. A uh, young guy, young pitcher, and so, yeah, I really like him in the American League. I truly do. Martina might not make the playoffs, but I still think he's going to be really good.
1: They did make the playoffs, but they weren't really good, so two Cy Young winners out of this podcast. You could, have, you could have done well with those. Hey,
5: yeah, we... Ohio, maybe. Yep. Who thought,
1: right? <laughs> the state of Ohio, for sure, and... To cap off the parlay, I had a I had a good prediction in there. Here is my World Series call because last oh, year I yes. got I got the <laughs> I got the matchup right, but not the result. This year I went one step further. I'm taking Rays Dodgers as my World Series this year. Rays Dodgers, and I think the Rays pitching will be just too much in the playoffs. Dodgers, are the Dodgers, Dodgers win it all. That was a hell of a parlay. If you played all three of those things.
2: I
5: and I love the confidence in each one of them. Yeah, no wavering in the confidence.
1: <laughs> yeah, so I, I would love to go back and look at what the odds were in those each of those occurrences because I feel like you could have made a pretty penny with like a hundred dollar wager.
5: Hey, I well I, well, I should have listened to the advice that we gave each other.
1: <laughs> yeah, we definitely should have. That was all in the base in the baseball pre episode one twenty one. We had a big baseball week that week because we did a baseball movie draft on the podcast. You get a chance to check that one out.
5: Yeah, so I remember this, yes, a little bit.
1: Yeah, so anyways, it was our pop culture team, Santa Rosa, John Stanko, and Alan Austin did the baseball movie draft. And at one point, John Stanko took a documentary about the 2004 Red Sox as one of his picks. Alan had some thoughts on the current Red Sox, and it led to this memorable exchange. So this is what I like to call (laughs) Stanko getting triggered.
11: When the movie was made, I was rooting for the Red Sox to overtake the Yankees. Um, that's back when the Red Sox were more likable underdogs and not the heel that they are now. That they claim they're not. What are you talking about? And so I'm thinking like, what are you- well, they're also they hated everything about the Yankees, correct?
1: Yeah, I'd mean, yes, hate everything about. The Yankees. They are
11: essentially the Yankees a little further north now, so. This is not
12: true. He I mean, like Boston teams right now, bro. You're on the wrong side of like pop- You know what I mean? It's just it's your Patriots. They just screwed everything over. different than the Red Sox. The,
11: the Red, Red Sox, Sox have,
12: have. But everyone's annoyed the Red, that Boston. The
11: Patriots are the Yankees of football.
12: That I will admit. That's fine. The Red Sox are not a heel of baseball.
11: They are now, I, <laughs> especially as a non-Yankee or Red Sox fan. I look at them and I just see them becoming everything they say they hated back in 2003.
9: Really? The team that just traded away their best player cuz they're cheap. We're not spending money because we're <laughs> trading away players so we don't have
11: to. Claiming that now after Dave Dombrowski gave everybody a billion dollars is not necessarily
9: But again, we're not we don't like tell people to shave their facial hair and to get a buzz cut every time. We let people show emotion. We let them like have fun in the clubhouse.
1: Kentucky fried chicken. We actually should have fun on the baseball field in the outfield when we when we finish
12: a game. That's not the team. That's Steinbrenner, yeah, Steinbrenner and the 70s. Stein, not nice word. Blame the 70s for the Yankees' beard and hair. Well, that's where all the Yankees' memories are back in the last century. Well, that's not true. I had fun this year. That's where <laughs> my memory
2: <laughs>
11: Anyway, the Red Sox bought a couple World Series towards the end there. Moving on. Uh... <laughs> Boy, that was fun.
5: Oh, man. He, he's Snake of the riot, man. He really is. That is – um. If you know him, he is a Bostonian sportsman through and through, and that uh, I love that little jab, Alan giving him that is that's that, that's good stuff right there. Let Sam trying to
1: jump in and you know be the mediator, and the- I just came up, I was just <laughs> laughing so hard they were just I was like, let him <laughs> go. Like, these guys are just having fun with this. Yeah, that is that is hilarious. Yeah, definitely a fun episode. Of the baseball movie draft, the first ever Zoom version of the podcast. So that one is that one's out there as well. One twenty two, and we'll continue on the trend of gold predictions. Because we're going to stick in late July, early August. When we're getting ready for the New York Rangers coming back into play. You remember when we were getting ready for them to go to the bubble in Toronto?
5: Yes, who could forget?
1: Yeah, they got swept out of the playoffs pretty quick. They lost the Panthers. But I did a Ranger preview special with our parties Pete Considori and Steve Kulso. Along with my friend Joe Chaffee. And he made this prediction before the playoffs began, because remember, we had this weird system where there was two lotteries, a t- play-in team won the right to the first pick. Here's what Joe said about that situation.
4: I think the Rangers, in their best interest, is to lose to Carolina. Oh I believe.
8: God.
4: Yeah, shut up, Steve. I think <laughs> that 12.5% chance. Uh, you, you get your turn next. I'm thinking That 12.5% chance to get Alexis Lafreniere. You want to talk about a franchise changer. If the Rangers can have this roster a year older with Lafreniere, you are in a different category of team.
1: Obviously, the most iconic friction that's been made on this podcast, the Rangers win the lottery. We did an instant reaction podcast afterwards. I think that's over 3,000 views on YouTube now.
5: I mean... How do you even predict that, right? Like, that is just, like, spitting into the wind, and then it worked.
1: <laughs> the craziest thing about that prediction is that it was longer. I cut it short because there was a point where he said the Rangers should start Henrik Lundqvist to give him the, you know, the chance to say goodbye and have the final playoff series. No,
5: yeah.
1: <laughs> Dude, that hey, do you have any lottery numbers, too? <laughs> yeah, that, that's a that's what Pete asked him next time we talked. He said Pete and Joe were on the instant reaction to that, and he's like, Joe, ask me one question. Am I going to be a millionaire? Yeah, that is, that is wild. That is great. Yeah, he also made a, a prediction that the the Rangers trying to trade for Jack Eichel. That's not happened yet, but if they do, I might actually just ask him for lottery numbers.
5: I know people have been clamoring for that. I've seen that in the uh, Twitter sphere. Don't know if there's much truth to it though. <laughs> yeah.
1: I don't think there is, but we're going to move ahead now. We're going to go to September. We're going to go back to the Jets because we had to talk about the Jets a little bit more. Talk about Adam Gase. Again, after week number two, when they got blown out by San Francisco's B-Squad, when they were taking on the 49ers, and I had my good friend Kevin Willis on. We're doing the picks for week three. We were talking about the Adam Gase situation. I pulled some audio of Adam Gase having excuses for why his team couldn't perform. And what happened next, I think, was a lot of fun. So let's listen to this from September, episode number 138. We 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 were moving the ball early. We moved the ball. We got to finish in the red zone. So is this like a successful day for you on offense? No. We moved the ball at the beginning of the game. Then we had some injury issues. We were down in two wide receivers. Let me get this straight. In the game when the 49ers had nine starters out of the game, we're blaming injuries on the Jets? Come on.
5: Yeah,
1: like, I hear it, that. And it oh, just
5: man. it
13: sounds like a certain person at a certain level of politics in this country. <laughs> Who seemingly does not want to, you know, admit to details that are being brought forth in yeah. front of him? Do You know, like moving the ball. Yes, the ball moves. That's how the game works. <laughs> There's no one restating that that fact.
1: Yeah. <laughs> the problem is you don't move the ball enough. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, let's get. I mean, let's get one thing straight here. Yes, Brashai Perriman going out hurts the offense, but and the Forty ers playing without George Kittle, Richard Sherman, Debo Samuel. Yeah, That's yeah, the other thing. Muster, Jimmy Garoppolo, Nick Boza you can't make the excuse about injuries. I couldn't believe it when I got home. Like I got—I drove three hours back from Rhode Island,
13: and I get on, you know, to see yeah. what their highlights were. We're going—I yeah. caught the Chargers Chiefs game or whatever—and yeah. they brought up the whole injuries that the that the Forty Nineers had. And I'm like, how did we lose this poorly? And it's just—it's going to reflect really badly on Sam Darnold, sadly, because I really think the kid has a lot of talent. He I mean, he's got a great arm, and, you know, I, I think he's being wasted right now, and I'm afraid of what's going to happen next. Because it, it's only a matter of time, honestly, like, yeah. before Gates gets fired. yeah, I And who is going to come into that spot is the big question.
1: Yeah, I think that, that sums it up, what the year of the Jets has been, pretty much. Excuses from Adam Gates underachieving, and it, somehow he still has a job.
5: Yeah, his uh, his post game pressers or something—that's for sure. Yeah, he's yeah, but uh, I uh, will see what happens. I mean, I, that feels like what was that? A few week two, you said? It was week after three?
1: after week two?
5: Yeah, that feels like it was a lifetime ago. Wow.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was after week two. And that was when my good friend Kelly Lewis on the picks, episode one thirty eight. I go back and hear that rant, and two more to go. We're gonna I have one more bold prediction here that worked out. We're going to go to the Masters in November this year. Can you imagine? Can you still believe this is so 2020 we had the Masters in November on a football Sunday?
5: I know, right? Yeah, yeah. I, seriously. Yeah.
1: Seriously. But I had my golf guy, Dan D. Martini on, and I asked him for his winner pick before a tournament. This is what he had to say. You know, my
8: personal opinion, if, if I had to pick somebody, Mike, I think I would have to, to pick Dustin Johnson. Just because of how he looked last week, and when he is putting well, ugh, it's really hard to catch him. We've seen it a few times in the past two years now, and when he's making long putts and mid-range putts,
5: not too many can stay with him. So that's who I'm going with. And he was right, just a little bit. <laughs> no, that uh, hey, that was definitely uh, a bold take. Cause like I don't remember many people like not bold, but like I don't. I know a lot of people kind of had him, but I don't remember his name being the one that was thrown out a
1: lot. No, it was all Bryson DeChambeau at that point. They I was talking about how he was bombing the golf course and he was changing the way golf was played. And Dustin was still like number one at that point, but he was not the most popular pick going into that. No. He was not. And last but not least, we're doing a little pop culture to end it here. Our pop culture correspondent, Sandra Rose, has been on quite a bit this year. We've been doing a lot of pop culture content. She was on recently, I think episode... I think it was actually a couple of weeks ago, episode 154, recapping episode six of The Mandalorian. Are you at least passing familiar with the concept of Baby Yoda? Uh, uh, listen, even if I tried not to be, I think I would. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so anyway, well, there's this one episode with Baby Yoda, episode four of the second season. Sam was on doing the recap with me, and man, The Mandalorian was going off on an adventure. They were going to go destroy an Imperial base. Obviously, you can't take the kid along because it's dangerous for him, so... They drop the kid off at, at the school. He's sitting next to another child who's eating, like what I call them, Space Areos. He ends up stealing the Space Oreos with the Force. I asked Sam for her take on this situation, and this is what she had to say about the Space Areos. One of my favorite moments of the year. I think it was definitely a lot of fun. Give me one second. I'm kind of filibustering here. I have to find where I put the clip on the board. I am going to episode number one. 54 space areos another child who is eating what i want to call space Oreos, and
12: i like that term
1: yeah so he's eating a space Arios. baby yoda comes over makes the noise and is like you want to share and the kid's like uh-uh and we see basically steal the force the cookies with the force and just he took the kid's entire rack of cookies so my question to you is this was baby yoda being a bully there by stealing all the cookies
12: hell no in reality he's like what mentality like too it's just like toddler tantrums so of course he's going to use the force to get what he wants any toddler who had the jedi ability or the used the jedi way would totally use that i would use it now as a full-grown adult knowing the like circumstances i would steal cookies from a child and i don't even like you know regret saying that out loud
1: (laughs) does that fit the sam you know Oh, absolutely! She's one hundred percent right. She's one hundred percent right. I'd sign up for some force. Yeah, hey, the space arrows look very good too.
5: Yeah, any Oreo, man? Come on, yeah. Give me some Oreos. I- I'll steal them. I'll steal them from anybody.
1: What's your go-to Oreo flavor?
5: I just go. I just go with the. I I like the um. What is it? The mint one. The mint. Uh, Enjoy it, whatever yeah. the the green one, uh, yeah. I I could eat I could eat a whole thing of those and not even realize I did it, and then I could eat a whole other one of those and realize I didn't even do it.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think for me the I like, I like trying different flavors, but the still for me number one is still double stuff.
5: Uh, yeah, I mean listen, you cannot you can't go wrong with that. You can't go wrong with that.
1: No, you can't. I mean, I, my pantry on it but like five different types of Oreos in the pantry. That we're just kind of like just sort of like trying different ones. Yeah. Yeah. This year, they also rebranded the U.S., the Olympic Oreos, because they had a whole set made of the olympic size Olympics, because post Well, Now, they're, they were American Oreos. They had red, yellow, red, white, and blue cream. Wow, that's what we need,
5: American Oreos.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think <laughs> of
5: them, though. Yeah, I
1: Yeah, think with that, I think that's a good place to leave us. Well, nice taking the trip down memory lane in 2020, and I'll put the links to these episodes in the show notes if you want to find this out. Well, how can people follow you on social media and keep up with your podcast?
5: Oh uh, Yeah, so I am on social media, Twitter, at H one and uh, I have a podcast, Green Skies, about the New York Jets, uh, just kind of breaking down the Jets' past game. I preview the next game, do some NFL fantasy stuff. I try to get those out uh, at least once a week. You know, it's been a little tough sweating here, but, yeah, I have it on Anchor FM, and uh,
1: my link is on my Twitter, and I uh, also you can just look up Green Skies on Anchor and anywhere else, and then you should be able to find it. So, uh, thanks, Mike. No, problem. And what's the plan for the off season? Obviously, you got one more, like two more, two more games left.
5: Um, I, I'm more, uh, I'm more excited about the off season. I'm going to try to, you know, just take it as it comes. But I'd like to at least get an episode or two out each month for that, if I keep doing it. And uh, especially because the Jets are going to have a very interesting off season, so I'll try to get at least an episode or two out a
1: month for that. I think you got to keep us, keep us engaged during the coaching search as well. All that,
5: man. Who knows what's going to happen,
1: right? (laughs) uh, uh, Let's
5: put it this way. There will be things happening with the New York Jets. I'm sure this offseason. I'm sure things will be (laughs) rather – they won't be quiet.
1: (laughs) No, they will not. Well, thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Of course, man. All right. Up next on Holly's Best, we're going to stick with the Jet theme. We're going to do our Week 16 NFL picks. I'm going to be joined by our friend Martino Pucci. We're going to talk the Jets, talk a little bit of stuff like that and more coming up right after this show me the money all right show me the money nfl picks for week number 14 week number 16 are here join me today we're gonna have a little uh pity party here here some grievances on festivus martino Puccio is here martino how are you Horrible. Uh, it's
7: like bottom three day yesterday in my fandom of all my teams that I root for. I I don't it's it's still not set in stone, but every every Jets fan thinks thinks it is and knows like time is up. Um, just like I'm back to the future three, you know, when the gravestone is like got Michael J. Fox's name in there, Marty McFly. Or it was Doc's name, I forget. But obviously, that ended up changing. It's not changing for the Jets. Like they're picking, they're picking second. And there's a part of me that that's scared that they might finish three and thirteen and not even pick second. Um, it's just I can't think of a more deflating day. I think probably the worst I felt absolutely since the the Thanksgiving loss to the Pats when it was like forty five to three. But obviously that was fixed with the playoff win. I, it's just, I mean, there's there's nothing. AFCs are like, I'd rather lose a, like five straight AFC championship games again in consecutive years than this. Because this, like, you know, at least those are good teams. You're in playoffs. Like, there is nothing worse than what they are right now. And that's a 1-15 in 15 team that's picking second,
1: potentially. So that's,
7: there's nothing worse than that.
1: Yeah, so to reset here, obviously, for those who lived under a rock for the past week, <laughs> Jets went out. There were 17 against the Los Angeles Rams on Sunday. Got out to a fast start. The Rams tried to come back, ran out of time. The Jets win 23-20, cost themselves basically the number one slot in the draft of the day, and the Jaguars remain tied. The Jaguars and, end up getting them one pick on the margin of the strength of schedule, which is far weaker for them than it is for the Jets. And it just makes you sit here as a Jedi fan and you, and you want to, you're just wondering one thing.
11: Why? 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 <laughs>
1: like, why do we have to win this
7: game? What was it? It was, it was up to like 17 in some places, I think yep. the Rams were favored by. Yeah. And 17. I mean, was it the biggest upset in franchise history since Super Bowl III? It's not, like, sounds about right. It's the antithesis of what the outcome is for that as well. I mean again with the NFL and the Jets and this is this is the main thing that you always talk about because we're all we're obviously Mets fans. That's been well-documented. Like we've seen the Mets go on great runs in the world series. They should have won in 2015. They should have won in 2006 where they had some bad fortune there too, but we've seen them consistently, not consistently. We've seen them put out winners with the worst possible owners. And they were right on the precipice of the championship. And it's not predicated on one position. The jets, you know, I'd rather be a lions fan and a Browns fan any day over being a jets fan. This is, team you know in this sport when the only opportunity and chance that you have of winning a Super Bowl and a championship most of the time is if you have a competent enough quarterback you have to have a good quarterback otherwise you're just you know the 2002 Buccaneers or the Ravens with Trent Dilfer the 85 Bears some of the greatest defenses of all time end up winning with you know what many would say, you know, a mediocre offense, but there's been talent. There were talent on those other teams on offense. There is absolutely nothing to look forward to because they can't even get a good, a good quarterback. Like Baker Mayfield is better than any Jets quarterback the past 10 years. Matthew Stafford is better than any Jets quarterback ever. Like he's better than Joe Namath was. And Joe Namath is probably the most overrated quarterback to ever live. There's nothing that you could point to that. You could say, okay, This is, you know, like the Jets can maybe figure this out. The coaching pool is cut in more than half now. The top options aren't even going to be considering it because as bad as the Jaguars are and understanding how poor the organization is, they still have attractive reasons there. They have some talented offensive players. There's some talent on defense. They're going to have their all their picks you know, Trevor, they're going to have the salary cap space. So it's not all that different from the Jets, right? And if you're the Jets, like, if I, if we were the Steelers, the Giants, or any other organizations, and we miss out on Trevor Lawrence, we would be like, okay, maybe we could find our quarterback because we've done that in the past. We don't necessarily have to have the number one can't-miss guy in the draft. The Jets need that. That's their only chance that they're going to have. When have you we ever sat there and said, okay, we could believe the Jets can, you know, you know, progress this quarterback, guide him and, and let him be this star. Sam Darnold was the latest. They they can't do it. They like, they ruined him. And it's obviously on him as well. You have to make the strides yourself, but it's a terrible environment for that. Who are they going to bring in that wants to come and do that? We don't even know who has the say in hiring the coach at this point. We know they have the money and the draft picks, but this is, again, one of the – it's the most meaningless win of all time, and it's going to cost them. Quinn and Williams end up looking great, sure. Nick Bosa got hurt, right, with the Kobe league catch against the Giants that ended up pushing, um, I think it was, whatever, whatever the, the odds were that the, that the Jets end up winning, that it cost them the number two pick for Nick Bosa when everyone knew they needed pass rush. Ended up taking Quinn and Williams. Quinn has been great. He, you know, looked as good as Aaron Donald did yesterday. That's awesome. Whatever. But who cares? It's for what now? Like where like what kind of they're in they're in nowhere. They're in no man's land. And it's just and it's just so depressing because it's just the one year that they're clearly the worst team in football, they're picking it, second. Like that's
1: yeah. And the worst part of this is in terms of this game, you think about it, it's like this is not even a game where they came out and they like dominated from starting to finish and one you're gonna say, Oh, okay. Well, the guys played the well. Rams
7: were worse. Sean the Ram- McVay got out coached by Adam Gase yesterday.
1: Yeah. Here's what happened in that game. yesterday. said, if you look, if you did not watch the game, the jets got out early, had their scripted first drive, got the touchdown. They blocked the punt, got three points. They picked off Jared Goff, got three more points, got a fourth and goal touchdown from Frank Gore, had a 20 to three lead and it's basically turtle football the rest of the way. And, we saw Sandra off for just over 200 yards, barely at six yards in attempt. Frank Gore, 23 carries at 59 yards and a, and a touchdown at the big catch to seal the win. Like, what am I getting insight about from this game? Like, this is not interesting football to watch. It
7: was so disastrous, too, because everyone. Um knows if you watch Jared Goff and I think this is absolutely true, whenever he starts off like the first two drives of watching Jared Goff, you know if he's gonna have a good nick game or not. Like you know like what version you're gonna get of him. I think a lot of the time there's like a you know it's probably like a 35% chance you get a really good version of Jared Goff that could help you lead lead you to the Super Bowl. And then you get the 65% is what we saw yesterday. And it's just it's just a player that's it's not great. And Sean McVay, that last drive man those those third and fourth down play calls, throwing passes like they did was just so devastating to watch. You know, they were getting awful penalties at some of the worst times to um, the turnovers obviously. Um, and it's just annoying because now Sam Darnold plays great, now they want to make the biggest one of the bigger upsets in team history by 16 and a half points. Like, are we kidding here? Like, why couldn't we get this when we faced the Pittsburgh Steelers? Why couldn't we hold on against the Indianapolis Colts in 2010 in January? Where we could have gone to the Super Bowl. Why does it have to be now that you guys pull this off? In the most meaningless win ever. Like, because this is the same thing. that I knew they sucked the year Andrew Luck was going to be the number one pick, and I wanted them to lose out. They didn't do it. I know the year when Marcus Mariota and James Winston were the top guys but tie, that was not the same as luck and Trevor Lawrence. It, it's,
1: they always do this. They always find a way that last, last like week or two of the season when they're completely out of it, they're like, oh, now we'll win. Like we're going to ruin your entire year and say, oh, here we go. Now's our victory. And this is not even one where Sandron played great. He was average yesterday. This is one where the defense and special teams carried him. And they just literally just held the, took the air out of the football the second half.
7: And they were still running Frank Gore plenty enough to the fact that he was, you know, effective. Scoring on the fourth down, like touchdown, it's just the punts were great. Brayden Mann was, you know, making open play tackles, saving touchdowns. It's frustrating because there are bright, bright spots, but it, it's all meaningless if you don't have a quarterback, and they don't. And, and it's sad because I do like Sam Donald. I do think there's a critical learning period where they have for kids when kids are like three to four years old, there's a critical learning period that psychologists talk about. I think that that's a thing with quarterbacks in the NFL. If you don't get rid and fix and get into good habits, your first two to three years in the league, then, then you're shot. Like the odds of like Sam Darnold and the Jets figuring out in this environment where, you know what, whatever, say they take Penny Swell, like some people want, like trade back a couple spots like the Colts did a few years ago when we traded up with them, beef up that offensive line and try and work it out with Sam Darnold. Like, how many coaches out there that are great that want to come in and help Sam Darnold and fix it? Like, who are the offensive gurus? Like, are you really gonna be able to convince Joe Brady? Are you gonna be able to do like a John D. Filippo Arthur um, Smith? Yeah, does does um does freaking uh, Matt Campbell want to leave Iowa State? Pat Fitzgerald was another name linked with Northwestern. And then I believe uh, the other one, obviously, was Bill Cower. How many of those guys are just spurned to, to this situation that they don't want to come here? And we can say the silver lining, it's very hard and difficult to look at. But are we really going to want to sit here and say, yes, we have Joe Douglas. People want to come here because of Joe Douglas. But are we sure they want to? And why isn't Adam Gase fired today? Wasn't the whole point of keeping Adam Gase to go 0-16? Why is he not fired now? They don't want to fire him after a win? They're 1-13. They're absolutely pathetic. They got a game gifted to them because the Rams were looking past to the next game. Like yeah. it's, it's, the worst, it's the worst situation that could have possibly happened to them. Be so awful, not have your quarterback solidify himself as a future, and lose out on the best talent since Andrew Luck. I, yeah. Like, it's the worst.
1: Yeah, it's not good. And two other things I want to get to real quick before we get into next week with the Browns. Number one, the whole crowd of, oh, my God, Trevor Lawrence is going, his, his career is saved. But then today's these people, I always want to say, like, he's going to Jacksonville, and they've had does, does such a great job developing Stan. quarterbacks like like Blake Stan. Bortles, Blaine Gabbert, David Garrard, Byron Leftwich. They're a real quarterback factory down there.
7: Yeah, no, there if there's actually a franchise that's just as bad as producing, you know, quarterbacks, it's it's the Jets like, seriously, I was talking to this with my friends last night, think about the best ever season singular season for a Jets quarterback was Ryan Fitzpatrick. Yeah, a single season of Ryan Fitzpatrick is your best ever quarterback, who is the best ever wide receiver for a single season in the Jets a year of Brandon Marshall. We had Curtis Martin. Yeah, that's that's cute. It's great what like what what else do we have that we could hang our hat on and trevor's not saved down there no he's not, not at all like chenault chark cool robinson i mean it's just why it's doug marone even going to be there no he's not going to be there Shad khan probably a worse owner than woody and christopher johnson not woody but i mean sorry not christopher probably but woody's better but i mean it, it's, it's not that he saved. And, and the other part that pisses me off too, Mike, and you know this, true, and we said this with the, with the group chat that we have with Will, they're all coming out saying, why does the worst team deserve to have the number one overall pick when it was the Jets that were in the driver's seat for it? The second the Jacksonville Jaguars get the pick, everyone's on board with it. It's great. The Jets are the butt end of every joke. They have to be pointed towards as the only franchise that ruins quarterbacks and doesn't produce a good one. It's, it's always them. It's no one else, Right. The Browns, yeah, why can't they make Baker Mayfield work? The Jaguars, oh, they're saved. They got Trevor Lawrence. He's absolutely going to be a stud over there. Joe Burrow goes to the Cincinnati Bengals, who obviously have a great track record of quarterbacks there too, right? They're great. It's always when it's the Jets. They're always the punchline. They're always the joke. And it's worse to be a fan of them because they're always in, in the spotlight of the media for all the wrong reasons. The Jacksonville Jaguars could not be any more relevant. If the Jaguars missed out on Trevor Lawrence, who actually cares? No one's going to make jokes uh, about them about it. It's only the Jets that they're going to make fun of. And and it, and it's just so annoying because we're not even the likable and lovable losers like the Cubs were back in the day. Like we're we're hated and we're awful and we're poorly ran. and And it's just embarrassing because it's every time they just need something to go their way. Just, just whenever, you know, the Mets, they have Jacob DeGrom. They have Pete Alonso. They've had Mike Piazza. The Knicks have had, you know, Carmelo Anthony. Patrick Ewing. They had Patrick Ewing, Bernard King. They won a couple of titles there. The Jets have nothing. The sack exchange, a couple of cute Rex Ryan teams, Belichick and Parcells for whatever many years. Failures, all of it all of it. And it's it's just the worst franchise. And and it's just demoralizing. And it's because, you know, I remember even in our grad program, I think we were having the conversation and you were there before one of Rick Cerrone's classes. And we were talking with Jersey Joe Arcino and he goes, yeah, so like, what would you do if the Jets won the Super Bowl? I'm like, I haven't ever thought about it. Like seriously try to sit down and imagine it because I just... It's not realistic. I just don't think it's in the realm of possibility. And I truly mean that. Like, I, I genuinely think there will be a cure for cancer before the Jets win the Super Bowl. I I, genu- I like, I seriously think that. And whenever that happens, like, I, I do. And, and it's not even just a Super Bowl thing at this point, Mike. I just want a quarterback. Can yes. I just have a good quarterback that's a pro bowler? Can I watch a guy that's, like, fun? Like, give me Dan Marino. I sign up for Dan Marino any day of the week. If we don't win a Super Bowl, whatever. We did it, like even if we don't even get to one. If we have one of the best quarterbacks in the league, like at least give me that. I don't even have that. It's yeah, it's that, the worst.
1: That, yeah, that's problem number one. Problem number two is now we're hearing all the players are basically mouthing off about how oh, oh you fans don't like us. We like we can not like you didn't want us to win. And I I mean we heard Kyle McGovern talk about this last week, and then we got this brilliant gem from Mikai Becton yesterday. And I'm gonna share. I'm gonna play this clip from Sny's social media page of him. Talking to sports Ellis, talking to uh, the I mean, talking Coakley, to Janae Pokely right. on SNY, and yeah. he was talking about what about what was wrong with the Jets here and what's wrong with the Jet fans. So let's let's hear from Makai. What do you say to
9: the fans? Why did you guys for that number one
14: get
8: oh, yeah. to keep
4: on? Laughing? What do you say to the fans? I
8: ain't really a fan if he wants oh, to win. Okay. I mean, I mean that as nicely possible. I don't mean that in a disrespectful like way. But I mean,
1: if, you, if you if you want us to lose, you gotta real. You know, hard
8: to just there just
1: take a long time. Again, Makai, I love you. You're a great player. But at the same time, like, you are going to be here for, like, 10 years. Like, we have we're, – we're committed to the franchise for life. And you mm-hmm. can understand that, like, we just want to win and we want the best quarterback. One win, make it, us make go 1-13 is not going to make us very happy.
7: No, it makes no one happy. What good does it do for them? They're happy that they went one in fifteen and they got and they got a win against us. Like, what is it going to do? No one respects you anymore than they did uh, twenty four hours ago. This is. This is the most pathetic and worst thing that you could ever want. It's short sighted by people who are saying that it's also said by players, by the way, the NFL has the shortest career span of any sport possible. Um, These players, if they're here, what are the odds of like, who's going to be here five years from now? How many times do we go through Jets rosters and be like, oh, they have absolutely nobody left over from the 2017 NFL draft? That's how bad it is. Guys aren't staying here for more than two to three years, whether or not they don't want to stay, whether or not they're NFL quality, like they're gone. We're stuck here. We've been here. It's been over 20 years now, just for me. Obviously, you know, what? I'm 25. I'm going to be 26, right? Like it's different for, for the other guys that are 50, 60-year-old fans that have been around forever. Like the Mike world. like it is, we're here all the time. We needed something that helps the future 10 years from now. This hurts us everybody knows that like how can you it's it's short-sighted to say listen do i want to see the jets go 1 and 15 no do i want them to lose every week no but what i want is for the best of the team and the franchise's future and in our best interest it is to lose and get the best player possible it's the same thing all the time. You hear it in the in the, in the NBA draft with the lottery. Well, you shouldn't want your team to lose. You you're not a real fan because you don't want your team to to lose. Yeah, well, I want my team to win, and the best possible route for them to eventually win is getting the best. Possible goddamn quarterback prospect since Andrew Luck, who was, by the way, the best and clear-cut prospect that we've seen since Peyton Manning. And they're saying Trevor is just as good, if not better. This guy is a winner. He's a program changer. Dabo Sweeney, it talks about it. Like when Dabo Dabo puts his name next to a player, calling Deshaun Watson Michael Jordan. You know, going to the Texans. By the way changes everything around over there despite bob and we know there are other issues that they're going to be having for a while and what they're doing to him but they at least got him and they're figuring it out like if the jaguars if the jacksonville jaguars do end up getting trevor lawrence which i probably will
1: yeah there's one pair pair where they don't superstar there's one pair where they don't and and i'll get with that quickly it's basically like they they have to get way one more game and i think the spot here is if they do not beat chicago next week if they don't beat Chicago at home, they're not beating the Colts who have everything on the line week 17. So if the, the Bears win this week, he's going to Jacksonville.
7: I mean, what if the Jags just play him? I mean, there's, a, there's always the angle, like, if they play him tough and Phillip Rivers just has his usual choke job at the end of, end of a football game. But the way the Colts are playing right now, they're so great. Even the Bears, man. The Bears are on a hot stretch. They've scored over 30 points in three straight weeks for the first time in years. I think it was seven years maybe or yeah. something like that is the stat I was, uh, I was reading. Like, the Bears are catching hot form. We, you know, the Browns are banged up now. The Pats are playing terrible. That they might lie down like dead dogs in, in Week 17, which is, you know, every paranoid Jets fan's nightmare is, you know, Bill Belichick losing to us when he doesn't need a lose to us. You know, like, of course he's going to lose to us now. The one year the Patriots are awful is when we need them to beat us. You know, they're beating us twice every year forever. Now they can't. Like, they just squeak by by beating us in the middle. And, like, it's just everything that they, that we needed to go well when we're at our worst, there's everyone else is just also at their worst. Like, it's just, it's just, you can't make it up. But at the same time, if you told me prior to the season, the Jets will have their worst team that we've ever seen, but they're not going to pick first. Would you believe me? I said, yeah, because things wouldn't go our way like that. Because when have they ever gone our way? And they're not going to, you know, and Will was right, too, by the way, in our group chat, like the Jets have to start making your own luck, which I absolutely do believe in because I don't think everything is predicated on luck. But when you're this hopeless and this inept of the franchise, you're relying on luck. And that's all you got, because as Jets fans, how many times do we say, Mike, all we have is hope and now we don't even have that. Then what's the point?
1: Yeah, because you look at what's going on with them right now. Basically, they drew their own really bad luck because, and I did the research on this. I saw this possibly happening yesterday. The only other time NFL history a team went one in fifteen did not get the number one overall pick was in 2002 when the Carolina went one in fifteen and was not was blocked out of the first pick because the Houston Texans were an expansion team and got it or handed to them automatically. This is a first in the NFL, but at the same time, like. The Jets, as a franchise, need to, as Will said, make their own luck. They will have a pick to get a quarterback, and they can develop him. I mean, Deshaun Watson is picked sixth in his – picked seventh in his draft. Patrick Mahomes went tenth. Like, I mean, you, if you don't get this generational quarterback, you should be able to hire a coach to develop your quarterback because like a competent is due. Like, you're asking them to develop competent. You're hoping that Christopher Johnson gets out of the way, lets Joe Douglas fire Gase and pick the next coach because – I trust that Douglas has really eye talent and fine guys because we've seen his draft has looked pretty good, but we can't have the meddling going on. That's the problem.
7: You can, and you have to have a solidified frontal. like, what's the situation with Woody? We have no clue on that. Maybe we'll find out obviously after week 17 and and we'll see. Um, we obviously saw him reply to uh, Brandon Tierney on Twitter. He had his coffee moment um, as you like uh, put it um, in the, in the chat. Did, like, Like, if, like, what's the selling point to some of these coaches? Like, Trevor Lawrence was like, you know, great. There's a lot of draft picks, sure. Are there guys that are still fans of Sam Donald? Yeah, maybe. I do think there's franchises interested in trading for him. I think you still see the talent there, but it's nothing like, are we going to win a Super Bowl with this guy? No. I I think that's, I think it's past it, obviously. I think they ruined him to the extent and and the point that your roster is going to be completely flipped. Um, considering the fact that you have to pay him and you're going to have less than salary cap. What if Joe D does like Jeff Wilson because he wasn't the one who drafted Sam Donald at the end of the day. Right. Nope. Um, what if he does want his guy in here on top of the coach that he's going to be bringing in? What if he, what if he wants to go with this route? Hey, do you like Jeff Wilson too from BYU? Are you a Justin Fields guy? Um, are you a Trey Lance or, um, or a guy that you, that you would like to have there, it's, it's just tough because, you know, Jeff Wilson, I, I do think is a very talented quarterback, but there's just, you know, you have to get guys on the same page for this. What's the route Joe D wants to go in? Does Joe D want to get a CEO, Joe Judge type, or does he want the hotshot young offensive coordinator and go the Arizona Cardinals route um, with Cliff Kingsbury in a Joe Brady uh of the of the world and all the other guys that you you listed earlier it's there's just so many more question marks now that pop up on top of the trevor lawrence thing because trevor lawrence it's a lock and then you pick whatever head coach you want because he's going to want to come here and obviously run his stuff with trevor now you don't have that it's just you know it's like brody van Wagner said we want to eliminate the ifs about 15 more just popped up yesterday after that loss
1: yeah the, the way i look at it is basically hey here's what you do it means like you go you go to your candidate and say look like i'm not wed to sam if you tell me like you sell me on your plan like what quarterback we should take and what we should do here like if you want to work with sam tell me how we're doing it i have all these picks i have all this cap space i can do whatever we want with the roster pretty much there's nothing bolted down the floor except for this year's draft picks and Quentin williams so anything else you can do whatever you want i think that's the Right, you're going to hire a coach, but let's get to why you're here because I mean, we're not going to waste our time mm-hmm. on the Browns because the Brown game, the Browns are not going to take the Jets lightly after what they saw last week. They will find a way to come out and win this game. So the Jets will be on a 1-14 next week.
7: <sighs> I hope. They got no offensive line injuries, but I, I, I just hope.
1: Who, who yeah. knows? Well, that's that was the one where like you're going you're gonna to play that tape, Kevin the fan, and say, hey, we can't throw our helmets out on the field. These guys will have to the Rams. That's when we're going there.
7: I agree. No, I, t- I totally I totally agree with what you're what you're saying, but we do we do, we just beat a team that was favored by 16 and a half points. I just like I can't be, like nothing nothing is out the window if you know it's whatever. But yes, uh, continue though. All right. So I'm so defeated.
1: Yeah. Let's <laughs> let's reset the picks here. So picks challenge here. Just my friend Justin Diaz is here last week for teen challengers. He went two and one on the week. He had his his picks. He took the Chargers getting the 3.5 on Thursday against the Raiders. They ended up winning the game outright. He took the Miami Dolphins laying the 2.5 against the Patriots. They won, knocked New England out of playoff contention. He also also lost with the Packers laying the 8.5 against the Carolina Panthers. A bad beat there at the end because, obviously, Carolina got the field goal covered. I, on the other hand, I had a very bad week last week. I had my second 0-3 of the season.
10: No, God. No, God, please, no. 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 No.
1: Yep. So a good 0-3 week for me last week. I had the Bucks laying six in Atlanta against the Falcons. They fell way behind early, came back, and not cover the number in the end of the day. I had the Niners laying three against the Cowboys. They just got beat in that game, and I picked against the Jets. I took the Rams. So once again, not not a good good finish for me there.
11: Why? Why? Why?
1: <laughs> As of on the year, Team Challengers is twenty six. I uh, say 20 and one. I'm twenty six and nineteen. The gap is close significantly, Martino.
7: It is. I I just want to send my condolences to you for last week. That's horrible. Uh, on top of the Jets, zero three, and jeez. I mean, when it rains, it pours, Mike. I, just, <laughs> but but the gap is getting close. But you you got a you got a little bit of a healthy,
1: uh, I, up there. I'm up one. I'm up like a game and a half, basically.
7: Yeah, basically. Yeah. yeah. I mean, look, it's it's not bad shape. Anytime you're in the green, by the way, like if you're over fifty percent, you're doing great. So say that
1: yeah I will say that let's let's go to the picks of the week Martino as the guest you were up first where are you going with pick number one
7: I'm going with the Miami Dolphins at minus two and a half um look anytime you come in and you beat Bill Belichick as a rookie quarterback how much confidence do you think you could have their defense is absolutely unbelievable the Raiders are just free falling they only play well against the Chiefs This number isn't that big at all. I think the dolphins can win this by, you know, five to six points. Um, and, and, you know, that's where the dolphin strength is is in their secondary. That's where the Raiders strength is, is in their secondary. I know they're at home. They play well. They're going to put points up. Um, but Miami can hang with teams. They're going to be getting players back. They didn't have Devontae Parker, Jacecki last week. They were missing running backs. If they get healthier, which I think they do, I like jumping on this uh, number early. So that's why I went with minus two and a half.
1: Yeah. I think that's a good pick on your part because the Raiders were a complete free fall. We saw what happened them last. We don't know if Derek Carr will be held up to play in this game. And the Dolphins have defense, defense travels. I like that pick. Where are you going with pick two?
7: Pick two. I'm going with the Kansas City Chiefs. Minus 10. The Falcons, man, listen. Honestly, if there is a more depressing fan base or franchise to root for, other than the Jets, it's probably the Atlanta Falcons. Each single week, Mike, I don't know if you see it on Twitter, it grows bigger and bigger of a collage of all the screenshots of scores of where the Falcons are up by double digits, and they end up losing all those games. They invent ways to lose, and they invent ways to lose big. The Kansas City Chiefs are on fire. They're healthy. Everyone's contributing. Le'Veon Bell just got a touchdown last week betting against Patrick Mahomes. Minus 10 at Arrowhead just feels like a lot to me. I think they could win this by 15.
1: Yeah, I think it's also a game where it's Christmas weekend, Atlanta's going nowhere. Are they really going to care when they're flying out to Kansas City on Christmas Day to get ready for this game? I don't think so. I like that pick as well. Where are you going for your last pick?
7: My final pick um, is the Seattle Seahawks um, minus one and a half. Um, Listen, the Seahawks have a lot on the line here. The Rams just laid a goose egg. I Obviously, this one is close with a minus one and a half. Uh, Seahawks defense is getting better, but how can you not trust Jared Goff after what just happened? Um, DK Metcalf did have a little bit of hamstring tightness, so we'll see how he goes there. But I think Tyler Lockett and Russell Wilson alone is enough. Um, DJ Dallas is injured in this, so that's that's going to be a little bit of a killer. But slowly but surely Chris Carson is getting healthier. I think they have more than enough. And, you know, I'm not convinced the Rams are bouncing back and going to have a good week after what just happened to the jets. Yes. I could see the angle where people are saying they're going to come out and not play as poorly after that because you really can't. But then again, I feel like this number is so low and the Seahawks have such a great offense. Um, but I will say this, this pick could be very bad if D.K. Metcalf doesn't play, because then you're looking at Tyler Lockett against Jalen Ramsey, and that's not something I love. But I'm basing this off of D.K. Metcalf being healthy enough because he did come back in that game. So for me, I'm taking the Seahawks there. But this is out of all the three picks, the one I'm most skeptical about. But again, it's just minus one and a half. The number isn't that large.
1: Yeah, I mean, the way you look at it is like if they win that game, you're winning the okay? pick. That's the way you gotta look at it.
7: Yeah. Even if you wanted to buy half the point as well, right. Because it's at minus minus one fifteen at the minus one and a half, they give you odds like that in certain places and especially FanDuel too. So if you're able to just buy that point, like do it. I, I, I don't, I don't think like Seattle is going to blow them out. I think it's going to be a shootout as well. The total in that game is pretty good at 47 and a half. As a side note, I know you like to do spreads, but um, yeah, I'm confident in the Seahawks and uh, another bad week for the jets as uh, that pick uh, gets worse.
1: Yeah, indeed. Let's go to my picks now. Pick number one. I'm going to go back to the Saints. They're laying seven on Christmas against the Vikings at home. This is we looking at and say the Vikings are in trouble. They're six and eight. They're heading over to New Orleans on Christmas Day. They know they're pretty much dead. They're not going to the playoffs. This is A game where i don't think they're gonna show up in this game new orleans has a lot to prove here they need to get the win to win the division they're laying only a touchdown drew Brees looked pretty good in his first game back the vikings teased and suspect at times the saints defense is still very good though shut down dalvin cook i think this game gonna be very ugly very quick so i'm gonna lay the seven with the saints pick number one
7: um yeah um listen saints saints are tough michael thomas hasn't really been there but they obviously have enough sean payton outsmarts pretty much everyone I, I don't know 7 seven feels like a big number I wouldn't be shocked um, considering it's the Saints in the Dome short week don't trust Kirk Cousins um, at all how could you um so yeah, I mean I could definitely see this going down. I could I could see it going up to a, around a potential nine points. All
1: right, that's pick number one. We pick number two. I'm gonna take a dog here. I'm gonna see, my probably this might be optimism on my part. I'm gonna take the Jags getting the hook to seven and a half against the bear against the Bears at home. I feel like this is one where now everybody's gonna start hopping on the bear train, seeing their fans say, Oh, Mitchell Trubisky's the future again. We're gonna win out and go to the playoffs. I we'll mean nine and seven, are getting. get in. This could be a big trap game for them. They got the game against the Packers next week. Jacksonville does play better than they've shown us against the Ravens yesterday. Gardner Minshew was capable of throwing some touchdowns even in this game. I like that they getting the hook here at the seven and a half. I think this is a touchdown game either way. So give me the Jazz getting the points, pick two.
7: Yeah, I think the Jags are going to keep this close. They keep a lot of games close. I know last week it's a little bit of an aberration, an outlier, if you will. Um, at the end of the day, listen, the Jaguars will probably lose this game considering how great the defense is but you'd never know if they keep it close enough. They keep this, you know, like, you know, like a 20 to 14 kind of game. I think they have an opportunity to end up uh, eventually winning, but I do think it covers in play because they play a lot of teams close. And, and, you know, eventually I think Mitch Trubisky is going to end up turning back to his usual self.
1: Yeah. it's pick two, pick number three. I'm going to take a, a favorite here. I think is not getting enough respect on the early line here. I think I think the Steelers laying three at home against the Colts. And this is more of an anti-Colt pick because the Steelers have a phenomenal defense. I know they haven't played great of late, but at the same time, this team still has eleven wins. This is a great home team. They have great defense. Phillip Rivers is turnover prone. This team has struggled mightily to get past the Texans in two of the past three weeks. I feel like there's been big mistakes time for Phillip in this game. I think this is one of the Steelers are going to make a statement here and show like, hey, we're not being slept on here. I'm only laying three. Give me the Steelers laying three at home against the Colts. Pick three.
7: Yeah, I agree with all the points you made. I don't trust Phillip Rivers. Anytime, you know, he gets pressure on him. He has that lame duck arm. He's not mobile whatsoever. They're receiving corpse for them. You know, I like Pittman. I'm a fan of him. TY could still be productive, but it's really predicated on the running game. Jonathan Taylor has played better in recent weeks, but he's inconsistent with it. Um, they've been using Jacoby Brissett uh, at some points too. So we'll see what happens there. But again, Steelers at home. Um, they've been playing rough the past couple weeks. It's really hard to go against Mike Tomlin here for me. It's just, again, I agree with you. The Philip rivers angle. I can't trust him. I don't think he's good enough anymore. And you know what? The Steelers are primed here to try and lock up one of the better, uh, matchups in the AFC playoffs. So for me, I agree with this too. I think it's a good pick.
1: All right. So to reset the picture of the week, Martino has gone with the chiefs laying 10 at home against the, Atlanta Falcons, he is gone with another favorite in the Miami Dolphins, laying two-and-a-half on the road against the Las Vegas Raiders, and the Seattle Seahawks laying a a point-and-a-half against the Rams, fresh off of their big loss to the Jets. I am taking the Saints, laying seven on Christmas Day against the Minnesota Vikings. The Jacksonville Jaguars, a seven-and-a-half point home dogs against the Chicago Bears, and the Pittsburgh Steelers laying three at home against the Colts on Sunday. Those are your picks for Week 16 on the podcast. How next week we're gonna wrap up the regular season. Alan Austin here. We're gonna talk about the Giants. They're probably not going to the playoffs, but I do think interesting offseason ahead for them.
7: Yeah, um, look, it's it's one of those years. I guess you could hope you just make strides, which I think they did. But they're gonna be kicking themselves um, in the behind simply because it felt like a missed opportunity for them. But you know what? Injury injuries occur. I think I think it. I think it was an important year. I know the. I'll say this. I know a lot of Giants fans are upset that they played well enough that it might save Dave Gettleman's job, which is you know. I I, like, I don't know what you think about Dave Gettleman. I think a lot. There's a there's a lot more apologists than I think there should be. But man, I I think I think it's a poor decision. I, th- I think there was just too many mistakes that have set them back and put them in these positions. Like if he did, if he did a better job in recent years um, with building this roster, they should, they would have won the division. I think, I think he, I think he's one of the main reasons why they're missing out. Um, if they do eventually end up missing out.
1: Yeah. We'll see what happens there. Martino. Thanks a lot. Of time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, people follow on social media and keep up with some of the stuff you're doing.
7: Yeah. Yeah. You could follow me at Martino Puccio on Twitter. Um, it's a, it's a bunch of soccer stuff, obviously, recently. Um, more exciting Mets stuff as we get closer, hopefully, uh, as as well. The State of Play podcast, you guys could listen to that if you're interested in all the soccer stuff as well. Um, listen, I don't know. Maybe maybe, maybe we get lucky and the Jags somehow beat the Bears and, and we lose out. Uh, it would have to be a miracle, but like you said, we don't get Steve Cohen and Trevor Lawrence in the same year. Backers can't be choosers. We get one of the two and – I'll take Steve Cohen for now.
1: Yeah, all we want for Chris is for Mitchell Trubisky to turn to a pumpkin.
7: Please, please <laughs> for, for, for the love of God. I just, you know, some positive news. And and it's not to say, you know, maybe, hey, Jeff Wilson could be a good player one day, but I'm not banking on that at all or ever.
1: All right, Martina, thanks again. Up next on the holiday special, we're going to actually chat with Alan Austin. We're going to do a little bit of a pop culture draft in terms of our Favorite thing, favorite holiday media to consume over the Christmas period right after this. All right, rolling along here on the Holiday Special Podcast. Time for a little pop culture moment here. We're going to have some fun today. Do some pop culture drafting here with one of my guys who's been a big star of the podcast in 2020. We heard him in the clip show portion earlier and John Stanko about his Red Sox becoming heels. Alan Austin is here. Alan, how are you?
14: I'm good, Mike. Thank you for having me. I'm quite honored to be an all-star of the podcast.
1: Yeah, I will say, like once the you and Stanko were fighting about the Red Sox being heels on the podcast here, I said, okay, this is going in the holiday special clip show portion because this is just so <laughs> funny. That's awesome.
14: And they are heels, so it makes
1: sense. Yeah, well, John's listening somewhere, so shout out to John, whenever you are. Yes.
14: Hello, John. Don't hate me for my what you would consider brutal takes.
1: Yeah, We're not going to hate on anybody today. This is the holiday special, and I know people are going to hear from you next week when we do the NFL picks, but this week we're going to have some fun. We're going to do a pop culture Christmas holiday draft like we did for Halloween. I think that one was fun, too. That
14: was, but, but with Christmas, I think we've got the most, deep roster of related media to choose from
1: oh we absolutely do and this is something for people i know chris is gonna be different this year you know smaller gatherings if you're doing any if you're trying to stay safe that's one thing you might need some something to sort of pass the time besides hopping on the zoom call at christmas at dinner time but i think one thing's gonna help my christmas out is that i to be able to watch wonder woman 1984 HBO max that's gonna be fun
14: yeah, it's it's, it's, it's going to be a great holiday season for catching up on films and TV you might have missed over the years. There's a lot to choose from.
1: Yeah, I I mean, I got a, a podcast that works next week. I'm going to be talking about some of the stuff that happens here. I got to catch up on some movies. I got that on the list. I got to watch, watch Tenet for the first time. I got some stuff going on here.
14: It's, it's the time to do it.
1: It is the time to do it. And we're going to do the pop culture holiday draft like we did for Halloween. The rules are the same, basically. We're going to go... F- Five rounds this time, because I have a deeper bench to juice from. You can do TV shows, specials, movies, music, whatever floats your boat. We're going to do that, and we're going to see who comes up with the best variety of options to do here. And, Alan, we will spoil a warning on my picks. I'm not picking any Power Rangers Christmas episodes.
14: Oh, that's a shame.
1: They were not nearly as, as fun as the Halloween episodes were.
14: No, and I... I... I think it'd be more fun. I don't know if this ever happened in the subsequent years, but if there was like a tree monster, a Christmas tree monster who used like his ornaments to attack them and stuff. And the way to get them down would be to take his
1: star. I think that'd be fun. Yeah. I don't remember any of that. I just remember the pumpkin wrapper. Ma- that's why I, that's why I took that one.
14: Oh uh, yeah. Pumpkin wrapper is great. But let me just say a Christmas movie is the, mo- there is a Christmas movie out there, which, scared me to death as a kid, and gave me nightmares for months after I saw it by accident, so to speak. By accident, I mean, if my parents are listening, my friend just happened to have it on at his house. I mean, how, what am I supposed to do it Was an accident? But the movie is Jack Frost, and it was a horror version, not the Michael Keaton one, and I was petrified. It will not make my list, I will not draft it, but I wanted to mention that a Christmas movie, so to speak, was the scariest movie I ever saw in my youth
1: That is very interesting. I did not think of that. But as the guest, I'll give you the first pick. So if you're not taking Jack Frost, where are you going?
14: <laughs> uh, well, there's a lot to choose from, and I'm sure you'll take some of the stuff I have here. But my favorite, I'm not going to pick the novel, but my favorite novel of all time is Charles Dickens, The Christmas Carol. So with my first pick, I'm going with a version of, the, of A Christmas Carol, and I didn't want to isolate the audience and make them go, what is he droning on about? My favorite adaptation of a Christmas Carol is the nineteen fifty one Alistair Sim version. But for the purpose of this draft, I will take with my first pick a Muppet's Christmas Carol.
1: That's a good one. Why why was that the top of the board for you?
14: Because I think it's the second best adaptation of a Christmas Carol after Alistair Sim, and it's what apparently the Muppet people say is I mean, the Charles Dickens estate says that the Muppet Christmas Carol has the most accurate representation of the story in terms of uh, tone and stuff. And I just think that's remarkable.
1: That's interesting point. Especially he's the Charles Dickens estate, I got, you got to give that some weight.
14: Absolutely. And it's a wonderful musical on top of it. And who I think is one of the top ten actors of all time, Michael Caine, as Ebenezer Scrooge, it's really solid.
1: Yeah, I think I'm going to go with a movie for my first pick as well. I think you got to go with the classic, and you can watch, watch it on NBC every Christmas Eve. you got to go with Miracle on 34th Street.
14: And you're talking the old one. The, the, old, original. the
1: original version. you got to go Get with back. it because, I mean, there's a reason that NBC airs this every single year on Christmas Eve. There is a reason for it because it's a classic movie. The story is always compelling, and the black and white always adds to the effect, and I know it's an oldie, but it's still a goodie.
14: And a wonderful Santa Claus.
1: Absolutely, a wonderful Santa Claus And I do think, it does stand the test of time
14: I I haven't seen it in about five or six years But I remember just being in love with it The same way I was the first time I saw it
1: Yeah, I think it's, those are two good movie picks to start here Where are you going with your next one?
14: My next one is going to be Another film in the black and white variety And it's one that I watch at least five minutes of every year If I can't catch the whole thing it's my aunt's favorite movie. It's a Wonderful Life.
1: Well, I mean, they go back to back. It makes sense.
14: Yes, absolutely. So you inspired a pick that I was definitely going to make. So I might as well make it my second pick. It's a Wonderful Life.
1: Which one do you like better of the two? I'm assuming it's a Wonderful Life. Is it, you like better?
14: I do, but only because it has a little bit more sentimentality within my family. And I just love the movie. I think it's pretty dark for a christmas movie but the happy ending pays off so well and it's just i think it's one of the finest films ever so it has to make my list
1: yeah i think it does too the, the next one i'm going to a tv show but i am going a little off the beaten path it is on abc like every holiday season Are you familiar with the great christmas light fight i am not yeah, so every year they're the show that Disney runs, ABC runs seasonally. It runs for about three weeks in in December, two hour blocks, and they basically go around the country and check out people's Christmas light displays and see who can put together the best displays each episode, and then the winner gets a fifty thousand dollar prize. And some of the stuff these people can put together is incredible.
14: This is quite a off the beaten bat path pick. I've never even heard of this.
1: Yeah, it's, it's unusual. I and mean, for me, who likes the Christmas lights and will go, like, drive around randomly, see what kind of displays people put up. Like, the amount of creativity that some people have and the amount of money people can sink into these things, is project's incredible.
14: So it's uh, a lot of uh, Clark Griswold wannabes.
1: Yeah, you could say that. I mean, like, if I had the money to burn, like, that'd be something I would like to try and get on that show. But you need lots of lights and lots of creativity and lots of ideas to make that happen.
14: Never give up, man. Never give up. If you want it, you can have it.
1: Yeah, I might have to like go win another reality show. I had the money to get on that reality show.
14: Maybe you can go win Supermarket Sweep, take the winnings, and put it towards the Christmas light.
1: Yeah, Supermarket Sweep. I feel like though that and like, Amazing Race the two I could do well on. I don't think I could do well on any of the others. <laughs>
14: well, then there's your start. There's your starting point.
1: Yeah, I think it is a good starting point. I think The Great Christmas Life is a fun thing. It's two episodes, basically, back-to-back in the two-hour block, so you can watch an hour and then skip the second if it's not for you. But I think it's it's highly enjoyable.
14: Awesome. I'll have to look into it.
1: All right, where are you going with your next one?
14: Now, my next one, I'm going to mix it up a little bit. I'm going to go with... First of all, can I just say that? Christmas music. There are at least 25 songs that can be considered the best Christmas song, but Depending on who you ask. Yes. Like it's that wide a range, but I'm going with one that I might catch some heat for because it's a little bit of a popular opinion one, but I do think it is a fantastic Christmas song. Mariah Carey, all I want for Christmas is you.
1: Definitely. Definitely one that you hear on the radio all the time. This time of year.
14: Absolutely. And, I think it's a fantastic pop song. It's a fantastic Christmas song. And I was debating which songs to go with. You have all the christmas E songs that have been sung by multiple people over the years. You have Bruce Springsteen's Santa Claus is Coming to Town, which is a phenomenal song. And you have Feliz Navidad, just a lot of catchy jingles. Paul McCartney, Wonderful Christmas Time. Just all these songs to choose from. And I went with Mariah Carey, All I Want for Christmas is You, because if you hear that song, you are bopping your head with it.
1: Oh, absolutely! I mean, I, this is something that like is a popular Alexa request. You can, I, I obviously you're home for the holidays, and that always gets a request of somebody saying, "Hey, Alexa, play All I Want for Christmas Is You.'"
14: Absolutely, it's a, it's a party favorite around Christmas time.
1: Yeah, that's a that's a good one. And for me, I'm gonna go the song well as well and this is the song that we're use on I've used on the intro for the Winter Wonderland for the Holiday Special podcast the last 3 years we're going with Walking in a Winter Wonderland I have a sample already prepared this is what we heard at the top of the podcast
0: Slayer bells ring i you listening in the lane snow is glistening A beautiful sight. We're happy tonight, walking in a winter wonderland.
1: Yeah, just a little taste of the pick, "Winter Wonderland."
14: A great pick. It's a very—it's the perfect song. Like right before dinner, you're sitting around with your family. This is on the background. This is on in the background.
1: It's a nice chill evening, and it just puts you right in the Christmas spirit. Plus, you gotta love Michael Bublé. Gotta love Bublé. Yeah, I think I think the terms of the picks, like, I, I would have gone with either of those songs, like All oh, I'm Off of Christmas is You or Winter Wonderland. I think it's appropriate to have them go back-to-back here.
14: It's perfect. It's, it's, a, it's a nice honor to have for the Christmas songs. And, you know, depending on who listens, they're going to have 10 different songs they like more, and that's the beauty of Christmas music. All
1: right, that's a good Christmas miracle we made happen here. And where are you going with your next one?
14: Now, my next one is my favorite as a kid. I think it is one of the funniest. It's one of the most endearing. And it's kind of like off the wall, but it's in the rank and best, you know, realm. And I'm going with The Year Without a Santa Claus. Interesting. I loved The Snow Miser and The Heat Miser as a kid. I must have watched those songs over and over and over. It's just a fantastic song fun little movie and it's got so much character, it's unbelievable.
1: Yeah, I, I love like all of those like anime like all those movies, like the specials of the day every year, though you don't see that one too often.
14: No, and then they tried remaking it with like live action and it was horrendous. So this is let me just make clear, this is the original Year Without a Santa Claus in the Rankin and Bass production where it looks like the uh you know, it's almost like stop motion with like Figures. I don't know how to describe it puppets or not clay. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, claymation so kind of. Uh, yeah, so I'm going with the year without a Santa
1: Claus. Yeah, it's definitely a good pick. I, I do feel like of all of those specials, I mean, you get Rudolph every year, you get Frosty every year. Like some of those lesser known ones don't usually pop up on TV as well. I think that also makes them gems in the draft.
14: Yeah, I mean, I love Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer, and that could easily be picked. I Pick the year without a Santa Claus because it—I mean, pretty much for the snow miser and the heat miser. What a wonderful cast of characters, and that one and Mrs. Claus is great in that. I just love the year without a Santa Claus.
1: Yeah, I think it's a good pick. This one, I'll go next. I'm gonna go to the sports well here. I'm gonna take watching NBA basketball on Christmas Day because I feel like the NBA season doesn't really begin for me until Christmas Day games hit because. For years, I'm a Knicks fan. The Knicks would play at noon on Christmas. They haven't done that in recent years. They were terrible, but that's besides the point. But you get usually <laughs> get the big showdowns of the big stars. You have games out all day. I think NBA on Christmas Day is highly underrated in a draft like this.
14: And in this year, 2020, it's pretty much going to be the beginning of the season for everyone, not just you.
1: Yeah, because the season starts like basically the two days before, and the podcast is dropping right around this actual start of the NBA season on the 22nd, 23rd. And you could have a, a game before you get to the Christmas Day games, and the slate's interesting this year.
14: Yeah, there's a lot of big matchups. No Knicks again, as you mentioned, which is unfortunate.
1: Yeah, they got to earn their way back. there. They haven't done that yet.
14: No. That's a good pick. It's an it's a interesting,
1: uh, creative pick by you. I'm, I'm very uh, impressed. Yeah, because I was thinking about it. I'm like you know like what do I like to do on Christmas Day? I'm like always the NBA is on. I'll put on like usually the Lakers are on there. They have a big matchup. Usually the defending champions play somewhere in there, and it's a good variety of basketball games. The ABC one's the best. ESPN's picked up the slack, so you've gotten a couple of interesting matchups in the mix.
14: Nice, nice. Yeah, I used to watch it more because there, my family used to go to a, my aunt's house for Christmas, and they would always have it on. So I'd sit there and watch two games or so while everyone else just hangs out but since we stopped going there for various reasons nothing bad just age and different traditions i haven't watched i have not watched nba on christmas day in the last couple of years i have to admit
1: would you like to hear this year's nba christmas schedule sure hit me okay noon on christmas day this is usually the next slot we have zion the pelicans going to miami to take on the heat that's the first one
14: that's a good one
1: game two this one's taking a hit because of the because of injuries here. The Warriors are going to Milwaukee to take on Giannis and the Bucks, at, fresh off of his supermax extension.
14: I feel like that's gonna be a, that's gonna go the Bucks' way right now.
1: I think it will, Viley. Five o'clock, New York flavor. Brooklyn Nets head to Boston and take on the Celtics.
14: Is KD gonna play?
1: KD's gonna play. Then it's gonna be quite. That might be the most. That's the most intriguing matchup
14: you've listed so far.
1: I think the next one is better. The next one we have here, Luka Doncic and the Mavericks head to, <laughs> head to L.A. Take on the Lakers.
14: That is fantastic. I'm a huge Luka Doncic fan and a huge LeBron James fan. So you're right. That did up the ante.
1: Yeah, I think that's the last ABC game, I feel like, is the 8 o'clock game. I feel like they did, they did 5 and 8, I feel like, the ones they had. And There's one more, right? There is one more. It's usually a West Coast game, as the case here. Clippers-Nuggets.
14: I like the Nuggets. I I don't think that's as intriguing a matchup as the last one you said, but I do like the the Nuggets a lot.
1: Yeah, that's your trip. That's it. That's your NBA uh, quintuple header on Christmas Day, and this is also a big Christmas sports year because you have a football game on Christmas Day. Because you have the Saints and the Vikings playing on. Like this is usually a Thursday night. They don't play on Christmas Day. They push it to a Friday special. And they actually have, I think, the Big Ten's playing four college basketball games on Christmas Day. So if you like sports, it's a good Christmas for you.
14: Sounds like uh, quite an addition to the amount of films and TV you'll have time to watch.
1: Yeah, the the Big Ten one is interesting to me just because this is one where they're clearly just taking advantage of the pandemic like restrictions where the kids obviously are not going home for Christmas. So the Big Ten said, hey, Big Ten Network wants content. Let's give them four games. Sounds about right. Yeah, it does sound all right. And there's one more pick each for us. You have your last one. Where are you going?
14: I'm torn. You've mixed it up with different kinds of media. I'm not as creative as you. I'm going to say that it's between two things. I don't know what to pick. I'm. You know what? I'll go with Dr. Seuss's How the Grinch Stole Christmas, the cartoon.
1: Ooh, the cartoon. I like that version.
14: Yeah, that's the... Best one ever. It's it's only about twenty something minutes long, but it's a great story about a character who's mean spirited, doesn't like Christmas, and by the end he's in the Christmas spirit and his heart grows three times the size it was. Love the Grinch, and it just beat out Christmas Vacation, and I went with it because it's a little bit more grand. I'll put it that way. It's a little bit bigger of a history behind it than. Christmas vacation, which I love Christmas vacation. but that gets an honorable mention from me.
1: Yeah, it's a good pick there. I know uh, pop culture correspondent Sandra Rose will be a big fan of that pick because she's a big Grinch fan. Like, that's one I had on my board too. I was thinking about taking it. Then I said, you know, I'll go off the board with the NBA. Then I, I was going to go to bed next. He stole it from me.
14: What did I steal from you?
1: The Grinch. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you got with your final pick? There's a lot of ways I could go for this because there's like, like you said, it's such a deep, pool of stuff you can pick from with the movies the music for me i threw the sports in like you got like everything and i feel like there's three ways i want to go here i i could go with charlie brown christmas i feel like it's an instant classic i feel like it helps out a lot and you, you have to watch it i feel like the toy story christmas special toy story like the toy story at the time forgot i feel like that's also an underrated it's become it's interesting in the last couple of years but i think i'm gonna go with one more movie i'm gonna take elf Oh, great one. Yeah. Just because Will Ferrell's performance as Buddy the Elf is one of the funniest all-time Christmas like movies of all time. I think you have to go with, get get him on the board.
14: No problem with that pick. It's a great Christmas movie, and I'd say it's one of the more modern Christmas classics. It
0: definitely because is.
14: Because I I, another honorable mention for me would be Bad Santa, which I think is a great movie, and also, like Will Ferrell, a great comedic performance
1: by Billy Bob Thornton. Yeah. Any other honorable mentions you had and on your list that you did not get to take?
14: Uh, like I said, I had Christmas Vacation. I had Santa Claus is Coming to Town by Bruce Springsteen. I did have Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer on there as an honorable mention and the Alistair Sim Christmas Carol, which it'll be hard to convince people to watch it now, but he is the best Ebenezer Scrooge, in my opinion, followed closely by Michael Caine. So I got a lot of stuff like that. And then, I love almost every Christmas song, so you can just throw them. And my last honorable mention will be all the Christmas episodes of the office.
1: Yeah, those are those are all good picks. I think in terms of me, I, I feel like we did for Underrich T you I mean we only got Christmas Life fight in there. That was the only one we got in there. I would say a lot of the Christmas shows tend to have good epi- like good Christmas episodes or like friends I know had some good ones. How your mother had some good ones. I will say the Polar Express is also on my list. I didn't end up taking it. That was another modern sort of Christmas classic movie. I think the two I mentioned, the Charlie Brown Christmas and the, uh, what was it called? The Toy Story, to The Time Forgot. Those are also interesting picks to me. And an interesting question for you before we get to this. I I want to know if you agree with this. Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Yes. Yeah. It was on the honorable mentions for me. I just didn't draft it because it's like, It's a Christmas movie, but it's also its own sort of thing, in my opinion.
14: Absolutely. I kind of relate it to Gremlins, which is a Christmas movie, but it's overshadowed by the characters of the Gremlins. So I think people forget that it's a Christmas movie.
1: Yeah, so that was of the alternatives, And to reset the draft here, here's what happened here. Alan started off with A Muppet Christmas Carol. He followed with It's a Wonderful Life. Then All I Want for Christmas is You by Mariah Carey. The Year Without a Santa Claus... And Dr. Seuss's How the Grinch Stole Christmas. How do you feel about that?
14: I'm very happy with that selection.
1: Yes, I went with Miracle on 34th Street, The Great Christmas Light Fight, which Alan and I had not heard of before we did this podcast, The Winter Wonderland by Michael Blueblay, and the Watching the NBA on Christmas Day, and Elf. Those are our Christmas picks. So, a lot of good options to choose from here.
14: Absolutely. And, uh, you know, other than Lightbright, I can't knock any of you, and I'm not knocking Lightbright. I just
1: haven't seen light it. bright light fight. What's it called? The Great Christmas light fight.
14: Okay. I haven't seen it, so I can't comment. But your other four picks, very impressed with and can't go wrong for sure.
1: Indeed. Alan, thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. For let you go. I can be your follow on social media and get all some of the stuff you're up to.
14: Of course. On Twitter at Alan underscore Austin underscore and Instagram at Alan Austin Sports and new podcast American Scene where my co host Ben Rosen and I dissect American movies which are movies that have American in the title so it's been a lot of fun
1: yeah I must say since the last time we talked the American hustle one came out I was happy about that
14: yes yes give it a listen uh, I'm trying to gain more traction on the Instagram that's my I'm in charge of that and I'm hoping people will follow so follow American scene pod on Instagram as well
1: all right thanks again Alan. I really appreciate it
14: Oh, Mike, it's a pleasure always. Thank you so much.
1: Yep. Happy holidays, sir. You as well. All right. Up next, we're going to wrap up the holiday special with an annual tradition here on the the holiday special podcast. The weirdest Christmas gifts you can find for your New York sports friends with Santa Rosa right after this. All right. We are back here on the podcast, wrapping things up on the holiday special, talking about the third annual Weird Holiday Gifts of New York Sports segment here. Join me again, an annual staple on the Holiday Special Podcast, our pop culture correspondent, Sam DeRosa. Here's Sam, how are you?
12: Good, thanks for having me back for the third consecutive year. This yep. is fun.
1: And our second consecutive week, because we were just talking on Saturday with our good friends, with our friends Pete and Nick about, about the Mandalorian.
12: Still not over the Mandalorian finale, to be honest with you.
1: <laughs> yeah, and... We got the news. It's gonna be, you know, Boa Fett first, and then Mando season three. I think that's gonna be fun.
12: It's gonna be fun, but I'm a little upset that I was not right. To yeah. be honest.
1: Yeah. I think it's, you know, we'll see. But I think that's a discussion for another day. I think once we we'll talk about this next week on the pop culture year end party. But we're going to while you're excited. here. Holiday. So excited. Yeah, I am too. Holiday gifts this year. I'll make sure it's actually in the holiday special podcast, not two weeks later doing technical glitches like last year. <laughs>
12: And, I mean, things happen, you know, where yeah. everyone wants gifts all year round.
1: So yeah. yeah, last year was a January gift party. So to reset the history of this thing, <laughs> year one of the holidays, when I talked to Rick Cerrone, the end of this podcast, Sam and our good friend, Mary Matiga did a round table of New York sports gifts. The worst ones you give to each fan. Mary cannot join us here too. we brought in our good friend, Jill Venditti for year two. This year with the Zoom situation, we're going just you and me, just keep the tradition alive.
12: Heck yeah. We'll do like quick rapid fire, you know, two person duo. I feel like we're the best duo to be honest. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think this is true. Will Schneider somewhere. He was on here earlier. I know he's, he claims the office of color status, but you are getting up there in terms of trying to uh, chase him down.
12: I'm always chasing Will down always. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Yeah, we are chasing Will down right now. We're gonna What we're going to do here is we know that sometimes, you know, holiday gifts happen unexpectedly. Maybe you get a gift you weren't expecting. You find one in the mail that you weren't planning on. You're like, oh, no, what do I do for this person? You remember, oh, they're a sports fan. You could always do the simple thing. Oh, I'll buy you the Aaron Judge T-shirt. I'll buy you the Trevor Lawrence Jet jersey you may not even need anymore. But we're going to go now with... We're going to give you a list of teams and give you something weird something that will stand out don't you think that's more fun
12: uh 100 who you would rather gift weird gifts and be remembered for your weird unnecessary gift than a generic easy gift
1: yeah i mean you could do something simple i mean you could do what i do here i mean i break i make legos i have the lego mini gingerbread house here but
12: Oh, man, two weeks in a row with Legos. I'm loving it.
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll break out a Lego on the pop culture party, too. I'll figure out what one to do for that. But we've broken down the teams as such. I am taking mostly my teams. i got the Mets, the Jets, the Knicks, and the Rangers. Sam's getting most a couple of her teams. He's getting the Yankees. I know she has uh, fond memories of the Islanders. She's also getting the Giants and the Brooklyn Nets. We are saying sayonara are the Devils because they not help the SEO much, so we're not talking about them this year. But in honor of Sam's our pop culture correspondent, we're going to do a little bit of pop culture lightning around at the end of this. So, I'm excited. I am too. So here's the rules. We're going to give you the description of the gift. I'm going to show you, we are doing this on Zoom. So this is a very visual part of the podcast. So if you want to watch the Zoom video, go on YouTube, Mike Phillips on YouTube, check that out. You can see our lovely faces on here. And we'll put the picture of the gifts on here. (laughs) And we are going to describe them. We're going to give you the price, give you what you need to know about it. And then we are going to rate them on the fruitcake scale of one, which is, eh, okay. Up to five, which is like cuckoo bananas. You need to get this to distinguish yourself.
12: <laughs> I like your uh, scale a lot.
1: Yeah. I think it's a fun scale. And since I'm going to be a gentleman here, I'm going to let you go first. I'm going to let you go to the Yankees first. So what'd you find for the Yankees?
12: All right. So I'll pick my top one. Um, all right. So it is labeled. So now I do want to preface This by I used solely Etsy because you know, you're we want to promote small businesses, we want to promote you know, artists and whatnot. Of course, Um, supporting small businesses and artists. a Little disclaimer Uh, I want everything off of Etsy.com. Anyway, so for the New York Yankees, the gift that I've chosen is called the New York Yankee baseball glove lamp, okay, made by that lamp guy. It is a lamp, you know, your generic lamp with the little, like, clicky thing. Yes. Like a little, I don't know exactly what it's called. I'm not a lamp enthusiast. Let's call called a switch. A little switch, yeah. Like a pull switch. Yeah. It has a baseball on the, you know, on the little pull switch. And um, oddly enough, it has a full-on glove at the bottom. And it is the weirdest thing. And the, more, the worst thing about this gift is it costs $149.00. In
1: ninety-five cents. What wait,
12: and what? $149 for a cents. So basically, if you round that bad boy up, it's $150 and it's a lamp.
1: May and- I interrupt for one second?
12: What the hell's going on out here?
1: You're spending $150 on this lamp?
12: Yeah, I mean, like, I can't figure out what it you know why it costs this much. It's a table lamp. It's not even a floor lamp that sits on your floor. You know what I mean? It's not that huge. So it's just one of those like, hmm, I wonder. This guy gets rave reviews. His name is The Lamp Guy. So you're probably paying for the
1: craftsmanship there.
12: I guess so. I I mean, I'm sure everything's done by hand, but $150 blows my mind.
1: So where on the fruitcake scale is this?
12: That's going to have to bump me up to like a solid four. Like this is a strange like a very strange gift
1: again. I will put links in the audio version for people who are listening to it. But if you want to watch the YouTube version, you can have seen this uh, weird lamp on, on the screen as Sam was describing it. So you could definitely get more visual aids of this.
12: My terrible descriptions. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Well, this is hard. It's a hard to describe things on an audio audio medium, but I'll try my best. Now I'm up with the Mets and I know you and I are both dog people and you know that you have to look out for the pooches. Sometimes you do these gifts. So you have a Met fan friend, who likes his dog. Make a shout out to maybe the 2000 Mets who let the dogs out. We're going to talk about basically the New York Mets Royal Plush Pet Nap Cap. You want to hear more about this?
12: Oh, 100%. You've intrigued my interest.
1: So basically, you have a dog. I know you have a dog named Lucy and you know she's the right size. It's about a medium-sized dog. This is a, basically a dog bed in the shape of a, new, a giant New York Mets cap your pooch can climb inside the cap and sleep on the bed inside.
12: Oh, wow. So it's like rounded at the top.
1: Yeah, it basically looks like a giant Mets cap with a bed inside that the dog can climb in, basically where the back of the cap would be. That's where the dog's uh, entrance is.
12: Oh, my God. I'm 100% getting this for my mom for, like, her birth. I have to wait a long time. I guess Mother's Day is this is yeah. going to have to be her gift.
1: Yeah, well, it's regularly $54.99. But it's on sale right now for $38.99, so not a bad price.
12: Ooh, it's on I the might M- have to just get her a late Christmas present.
1: It's on the Mets website and Metshop.com. <laughs> I'll give this a two on the fruitcake scale because it is odd. It does not look very, it looks very weird, I'll say. But at the same time, you cannot knock someone for getting something for the dogs. That's why I'm giving it oh. a two.
12: Yeah, definitely.
1: All right. Let's go on to the football teams. Let's go to the New York Giants, who still, as of recording here, have a shot at the division. Don't think they're gonna get it. So what are you gonna get your sad Giants fans friends to make them feel better?
12: All right. So I'm torn between the two. I'll go really fast. I'm gonna try to condense their two separate ones okay. into one. The first one going off your pet one. You can get a custom NFL pet portrait. So you can get, like, your dog on a New York Giant. Well, you can also get them on any other team as well. So that's strange. That runs you about $20, you know, starting starting price point for $20. Or, and I hope you uh, post the first picture you see, you can get a Giant's beer tap um, handle for your man cave or your beer tap, whatever, the one that I would like to focus on is on the left-hand side is the player who's catching it and the beer tap is coming out of his butt. And I think that is the weirdest <laughs> thing I've ever seen. And I know it's like TMI and a little risque, but I think it is so strange that somebody would get a beer tap with it coming out his butt. I mean, Why not, chew? Why not maybe his lower back, like whatever. It's on his side. You can make it on your end beer tap, but his butt, like, come on, my friends.
1: Hey, you know know what? It takes some props to do that.
12: (laughs) I guess. And then also you can get them like buy them used is like an option as of right now. Anyway, the starting price point for one of these beer handles, there are multiple ones that you can choose from. If you're a Coors Light fan, if you're a Budweiser fan, starting at $26.99 as a starting price point.
1: It's not bad. I will say the first one intrigues me more because... We actually have a dog right now whose name is Patton, and he's like a black lab, and obviously we make like make the joke about the general Patton because of the re- U.S. history reference. So, like, we, you said that picture. We actually have a similar kind of deal where we have his head on a general's body.
12: <laughs> that's great.
1: So, like, that's what I thought of when you talked about that. I'm like, I need, like, that, I'm like, I could just put, like, one of my dogs on, like, a New York Jets receiver. Not that I want him to suffer on the Jets, but...
12: <laughs> yeah, well, 100%. You could choose, it says... um any like American football poster, yeah. or it says also you put your cat on here, I guess, as well. Um, but they have a nice German Shepherd on a Jets player, um, for their like examples.
1: Okay, I'll definitely be check, checking that out as well. That's on Etsy, and we'll go to the Jets. You remember last year I found something very weird for the Jets.
12: Oh, yeah, no, I'm very excited.
1: We last year we did the Jets Tiki Totem for oh,
12: yes, yes, that horrible thing,
1: that horrible thing. This year, we topped that. We topped the Tiki Totem in terms of weirdness.
12: I'm nervous.
1: We have the New York Jets Sugar Skull Statue. Uh, you, uh, let, me, let me explain it this way. Do you remember the movie Coco?
12: Yes, the Sugar Skull. Now, is it edible or is it like a full it's a statue. statue? It's
1: a statue. It's but a Can we get
12: the measurements on this bad boy?
1: I will get you the measurements on this bad boy, but it's basically a normal size Sugar Skull. The, it's in Jets colors the eyes are Jets logos. It, oh boy. it looks very, very creepy.
12: Uh, why would they do that?
1: Because it, it sells, I guess. But I have the official description from the website, if in case you're curious what the, how they want to sell this.
12: Definitely, I am curious.
1: They say, you're an avid New York Jets fan and love to flaunt it. I don't know about that now. I don't know how much I'm, I'm bragging about my 1-13 in 13 football team, but we'll go ahead. Show the New York Jets your support by grabbing the Sugar Skull statue. Just bold New York Jets graphics, so no one you will be able to question where your allegiance lies when you add this sweet piece to your collection. I think they might question me if I if I put this out.
12: Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's uh, you know sugar skulls is more of a Halloween-y thing, but uh, what to each their own, I guess. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, maybe like if you're a big fan of Coco and you you not, not that that have that perfect intersection of like Jet fan loves the movie Coco, you get them this, but. It is regularly thirty nine ninety nine for this thing, but okay. it, is, it is on sale for twenty seven ninety nine.
12: Is that really a sale, or is it just knocking a couple of? Well, shipping? it's about
1: twenty five percent off.
12: I guess I feel like not still not worth the price.
1: It is not worth the price, and it is a full five fruit case because this thing is the weirdest thing I've ever seen.
12: That's very strange.
1: It's very very bizarre, and like if you if so if you walk into an office and you put this on your desk. Your boss will walk over to you and definitely start like yelling at you. What the hell's
12: going on out here?
1: He might question your sanity.
12: He might, and you may be fired.
1: Yeah, well, we don't want that in this in this age where it's hard to keep jobs.
12: Yeah, definitely.
1: All right, let's go to the NBA. We are recording on Tuesday night. The Brooklyn Nets are playing right now. What do you have for the Brooklyn Nets fans?
12: So funny enough, on Etsy, since I said I was just gonna keep the small business, like, you know, artistry and everything. Yep. They had some pretty cool stuff for the Nets. So, like, I'm not saying this is bad because it is homemade and I could never make this myself, so props to this person. But they have a Brooklyn Nets sports tissue box. Ooh. And it is crocheted, so it's just strange that a, there's a crocheted tissue box. Also, who uses tissue boxes? Maybe I'm just not, you know, affluent like affluent i can't say that word anymore enough or whatever you know what yeah. i mean like maybe it's just not my cup of tea but i thought it was a little strange and it was made of yarn
1: yeah so let me get i'm trying to understand is this. this is just like do you put this around the tissue box you put tissues in this
12: so you put the box and i think you put it on top and then you just pull the tissue through yeah so it's just like not your like generic tissue box like the paper part of it yeah so it's like hiding it yeah yeah so it's like if you have a nets themed bathroom or something, or you just want it, I don't understand the purpose of tissue boxes. I'm maybe I just don't mind yeah. the designs. I do buy um, the fun looking ones. Yeah. Um, I do splurge for that, so maybe that's just my own prerogative.
1: So if you, so if you were splurging on one, like if they had like the Bill Murray themed Ghostbusters Christmas like tissue box, you'd be all over that.
12: Um, I think I would take him more as just, like, a regular Bur- Bill Murray yep. on a Tuesday. Yeah, I would like that more than a Ghostbusters one. Come but, on. like, I still don't think I could ever see myself buying a tissue box.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so how much does the tissue box run you?
12: Oh, the tissue box will run you about $19.95, and it's 100% homemade. That's, like, if you look at the pictures, it's very well done. Like I said, couldn't do it. But it's just a very strange item.
1: Strange item, but the quality sounds like it's good.
12: Um. Yeah, we'll go with that.
1: (laughs) On the fruitcakes, yeah, where are you putting this?
12: I'm going to put that at a little, like, much lower than my my first Yankees one. I'll put it at, like, a 2.5.
1: Okay, 2.5 out of 5 there. The Knicks, this one was probably the most, like, generic one that I found, but just, like, a very weird concept. This is a New York Knicks Cub Viking chess set. I have never heard of Cub Viking chess before today.
12: Um, I don't. I know chess, and that's about it.
1: Yeah. So here's what it includes: it includes ten six by two point seven five inch cub blocks, six one point five inch by twelve inch cub tossing dowels, one twelve and a half, well twelve inch by three and a half inch king cub, four corner pegs, and a carrying bed. The blocks had the Nick logo on, that's why it's a Nick set. Mm-hmm. This is an outdoor game. I'll describe it as a combination of bowling and horseshoes. This is what they call Cub Viking chess.
12: Ah, I've never heard of that.
1: I know, I don't know how to play the game and not have the time to look that up, but we're going to focus on what the Knicks tell us here about this. It's the official description here. Showcase your love for the New York Knicks by adding this Cub Viking chess set to your collection. The crisp graphics and awesome touch to your fan cave and ensure everyone knows it's your fandom. This stunning game is a perfect excuse for gathering your friends around for an epic New York Knicks party. Well, I got to kill them on that. We're in 2020. We're not doing parties right now. Yeah,
12: wrong crowd, wrong crowd.
1: It is not the right time for this, no. And you get the Knicks, whoever designed the Knicks shop website, you get a failing grade on that one. I just think it's not, it's, it's really not good by you guys. You should have been smarter than this. Oh, man. <laughs> They're getting a fruitcake bump on that just off of that alone.
12: Oh, damn, that's some serious uh s- smack talk there, Mike.
1: Yeah, so but the Knicks they deserve this. This is thing, by the way, this. <laughs> This is regularly 60 bucks, this set.
12: $60? Sixty dollars?
1: Sixty dollars. It's on sale now for $41.99. Oh man. On the fruitcake scale, it was gonna get a zero just because it was so nothing, but they get a one because of the fact they're telling people to get together during COVID.
12: Oh, well that was nice of you.
1: Yeah, so they get the, the merit. So
12: <laughs>
1: let's move on to the hockey. You go to your New York the New York Islanders. Where'd you find for them?
12: So like, I found a few for the Islanders. Um, I will stick with this one. It's the New York Islanders birdhouse. Okay. And uh, it's literally a birdhouse with the New York Islanders logo on it. Don't understand. I feel like your majority of your fans are living in Long Island, and a lot of Long Islanders don't have birdhouses. But this bad boy will run you $44.62. Right now, there's only one available. So, I don't know how many they originally put out. They could have just put out one and there's one available. But it's telling me that it's almost gone and I should buy right now. If you want Uh, it. Yeah. But, I mean, like, hey, listen, listen. Again, very well crafted. Cannot craft things at all. Did not do well in tech class in middle school. But it's just, like, a weird gift to give an Islanders fan. Like, you know, it's like, oh, wow, like, Uncle Jim loves the Islanders. Like, let's get him the birdhouse like i don't understand where that that equates in my brain but that, here we are
1: that's a very narrow intersection between islander fan and bird watcher yeah so how much is so how much is this thing
12: it's 44 dollars 62
1: that's a very specific number
12: right that's yeah. what i thought too yeah. i was like this is strange
1: yeah maybe they were trying to outdo one of their competitors selling them for like 44 and 50 and uh 69 cents
12: yeah i guess yeah. so i mean i just don't understand I don't understand the pricing. Maybe they just figured it out to a T. People are smart, unlike yeah. I am.
1: Yeah, they'll give them credit for crafting it because, like, my tech class skills were not very good. I used to make those, like, wooden race cars. and I would never get past the second round of the Derby, so.
12: Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> at least you made it through one round. That's all that mattered.
1: Yeah, I got through one round. my fatigues always got mad at me because I always put number one on the car, and they're like, everybody wants to be number one. You have to take a different number.
12: Yeah, yeah, that's funny. So I
1: think I ended up starting going to ten. That was sort my backup line. I went to ten because I just threw a zero on at the end.
12: Oh, I always was. Uh, my net favorite number is five. Nobody, yeah. funny enough, nobody ever took that one.
1: Yeah. So how much was so fruitcake scale on the on the birdhouse?
12: Um, I'll give it a solid three. You know, like kind of like right in the middle of two point five three. All right,
1: so not bad, not bad. Um, yeah. the Rangers were gonna have some fun.
12: Oh, I'm excited.
1: Do you remember last year what we did with the Rangers?
12: Uh, no, you're going to have to remind me.
1: Last year, we had the ranger unicorn.
12: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, how could I forget the unicorn?
1: The unicorn that I got Jill cracking up on. We are talking about how you just bark glitter all over the ro- unicorn. and It was basically what we had. Yeah, we, yeah. We went a step further than the unicorn this year.
12: A f- it's a further. Is it a dinosaur?
1: It's a llama.
12: It's a llama.
1: A New York ranger's llama.
12: Oh, my God. Please, when you do this uh, later on, you put the... Yzma, a llama—that's yeah. so what you gotta use for your like. <laughs>
1: yeah, I did not think to put down the soundboard, but
12: yeah, definitely put on. The, oh, I don't know. You could use a llama in Yzma's voice.
1: Yeah, yeah. So anyway, this this is the same kind of color scheme with the, as the unicorns. The psychedelic llama—it's got the pink, it's got the purple, like I'm wearing right now. It's got the yellow, it's got the orange. It's like all over the place, and the they make it a Rangers because they put a pink Rangers bandana around the unicorn around the llama's neck
12: not even embroidered on the llama it's no, just a bandana it's on
1: a pink bandana oh
12: boy and here's That's a stretch.
1: here's the official description from the new york rangers uh, shop website this llama plus toy is a must-have for any new york rangers fan young or old it's a soft and fluffy making this little guy the perfect companion to have by your side you take in the action at home once joy of victory is adorable foco plus you won't miss a new york rangers game without it so i have one follow-up question for you do we need to send this to Pete?
12: You know what? He might enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> the different colors it could go with any of his ensemble. Yeah. I feel like that would be really nice of you if you sent it. I will go halvesies with you.
1: Yeah, well, it's a very cheap halvesies, by the way. It's regularly 30 bucks it's on sale for $12.99
12: oh i could totally help i could totally pay literally go these up with you on that one
1: yeah so that could be pete's holiday gift for the podcast it's like the new york rangers plush llama
12: i mean i really think he'd enjoy it and it could be his like buddy when he takes it to games
1: yeah because he pete also plays hockey so he could have that just like ride the bench with him
12: he he could it could be a buddy for life
1: we could instead like mandalorian Grogu. we have pete and the llama
12: <laughs> i was just I was like, it could be his child, yeah. like Grogu.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so on the fruitcake scale, though, I went beyond the five. I gave this eight fruitcakes.
12: That seems acceptable.
1: Because this thing is just so absurd and so out of left field. You're like, who actually sat there in the drawing boards? You know, this is a good idea. This will sell a lot.
12: I didn't think llamas were that popular.
1: I didn't either. I got at least a unicorn. You're like, okay, kids like unicorns, but... What kid is saying, Daddy, I want a llama?
12: I don't know. And you can get the real thing and put it like a Ranger's bandana on a real llama.
1: Yeah, you could, but they did not do that.
12: Mm, or I feel like that's just safer for the llamas.
1: Yeah, it's also safer for you because you're probably not gonna want to go up with the llama at this time at this point in time.
12: <laughs> that's true. <laughs> All, right.
1: All right. Let's go to the pop culture portion of the program here. Do you have any good pop culture things?
12: Um, so like I kind of did pop culture sports. Kind of deal. Yep. If we're going to go back to um, our good old uh, Mandalorians, that's our like little anchor point this season. Yeah. Uh, they had a, I don't know why, but the Yankees, the Giants, everything. I'll focus on the Yankees specifically. Uh, they have a baby Yoda Yankee shirt.
1: What's he doing on it?
12: He's like, you know, that meme where he's like in his little coat and he's like looking up like yeah. that. That's all. Wait,
1: with a Yankee hat on?
12: No, he's just wearing a Yankees like tunic.
1: Oh, so it's changed the tunic from brown to Yankee colors?
12: Yeah, no, it's literally a it looks like black in the um well you could pick your black or navy for the um t-shirt. Uh but it's literally that's it. Yeah, so you can select your size and it has Yoda looking up, baby Yoda I should say, looking up or Grogu. And the Yankees emblem on his little tunic and then on the arm sleeve. And that bad boy is going to cost you about $22.99 as the starting price point.
1: Not not bad. Solid.
12: Yeah. And then um, if you don't mind, I have one more because I like to go with sports themed. Um, They have homemade New York Islanders Mickey ears. Oh, that's cute. But why?
1: I don't know. Maybe there's that intersection of Disney fans and Islanders
12: how big is that niche? Like how many,
1: well, considering Disney is this big, maybe you get the Islanders kind of like this big in the middle here. you have enough of an intersection.
12: That's, that's such a big one. I feel like it'd be like this big, like so small.
1: What's the better chance here. We find somebody who likes that or somebody who likes the birdhouse.
12: I feel like the birdhouse is more <laughs> exciting than the ears.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just something though. I could argue the ears because, you know, I could see this being like, Oh, like I'll buy this and put this on my dog.
12: Yeah, and then also this one is twenty two dollars. Yeah. So it's literally like uh, ninety. Oh, so it's ninety nine, or it's like a dollar less than the T-shirt.
1: Yeah. So, you, what are the fruitcakes on those?
12: Um, I'm just gonna give them a solid both, like four. Like why?
1: Okay. Before we get to my pop culture pick, which is also *Man in the I do want to give you a dishonorable mention. This is also gonna kind of tie into the pop culture thing we're doing next week. mm Hmm. Do you remember when we had a Tiger King in our lives?
12: Uh, yes. Yeah. I don't want to say what I bought for Tiger King, but I have something Tiger King related in my wardrobe.
1: Okay. I'm not going to ask what it is. We'll leave that for the, as a mystery to the audience. Oh but, boy. <laughs> but right now you, you, you could actually go to the official Tiger King website. If you want to relive that bizarre portion of the pandemic, when that was the biggest thing since sliced bread. So there's a, I went on this website earlier. They literally have a line of theme products called Carol did it based on Carol Baskin.
12: Oh boy.
1: And one of them is Carol killed Kenny socks. Like tiger. wearing the Kenny Jack from South park.
12: <laughs> That's so funny.
1: <laughs> I will say, I did not even bother rating this, but if you bought anything from this website and supported these maniacs, please do me a favor and click unsubscribe on this podcast, please. We do not want you guys.
12: Oh, my God, you need to get the sound bite. I will never financially recover from this.
1: <laughs> yeah, so if if you hear this, like, if I hear that you did that, here is what I'm going to think when I hear you bought off a Tiger King site. Oh
10: my- no, God! No, God, please, no! 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 No!
1: <laughs> exactly how I felt watching the Jets last week, too.
12: Oh, uh, poor Jets.
1: And then we also, uh, this happened, this also was also appropriate for me last week, and I'll also question your life choices when you if you buy from the Tiger King shop.
13: Why? Why?
11: Why?
12: <laughs>
1: yeah, why would you buy from Tiger King? Yeah, I
12: don't know. I, I mean, like... I, I
1: get, it's different I when you buy it a like, it first happens. You're doing it nine months later, you had a chance to digest all these people, you're like, uh, okay.
12: I mean, I bought, like, nothing from the Tiger King anything. It was a Jaguars-related item.
1: Well, that's different. It's like, I'm not saying, I'm saying, not. don't support them.
12: Okay, cool, because now you made me feel incredibly guilty, but. No, I'm like,
1: gonna... as long as it's not, support. <laughs> like, you can make fun of them. If, like, you want to support a local Etsy owner who wants to do something cool like that, that's great. But, like, don't support them and give them cash for being cruel animals.
12: Yeah, not, not the Tiger King.
1: Not the Tiger King, folks.
12: Suing, uh, who I heard is suing the Trump administration. Yeah, he wants pardon. him. Yeah, I love it. It's just so Tiger king I think it's hilarious.
1: Yeah, we're gonna move on because we're not a political podcast here. So we're not gonna get that's into.
12: True, true. We're not get.
1: <laughs> we don't. The only time we talk about politics, we talk about math. We don't do actual politics.
12: <laughs>
1: that's yes. Yeah. Oh, shout out to Phil friday for that one. That was a great podcast on the election night. So if you want to go back and check that out, <laughs> that's in the archives. But the now the pop culture thing. This is also the Mandalorian. This is also <laughs> interesting. It's a blue flannel shirt. And it's an interesting choice. The, re- the front looks solid. You got a nice little stitch of Baby Yoda on the pocket. I'm going to put two pictures up. I'll show you the front first. It's got, you know, a solid, like, design on the collar. You look at it, you're like, okay, this is nice. I is this something you could get for your Mandalorian friend. Then we go to the back. Uh-oh. And on the back, on the back of the flannel shirt, you have in big, bold text, like the cartoon script from the show, this is the way in massive lettering on the back of the shirt mm. that does not go with flannel flannel is not designed to be like a t-shirt look where you see like massive lettering on the back So just see the flannel pattern yeah and this is the official description on the website it may not be made of Beskar but this bolt button up shirt inspired by Star Wars The Mandalorian makes stylish armor against chilly weather a classic case-worthy flannel with a unisex fit it features this is the way on the back and embroidered details on the front so this is one where, like, I cannot get past that because it does not look right.
12: Uh, no, but also the beginning of that description was pretty funny, though.
1: It's not Beskar Armor?
12: Yeah, I was like, that's clever.
1: Yeah. Oh, well, it's on Disney's official website. This is something Disney actually sells. Oh, really? It's on the Disney website. Ugh. Would you like to take a guess on the price of this thing?
12: Um, thirty-five eighty-nine. Higher. Ew, really? Like, 50, 60 bucks?
1: Ding, 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 Six fifty nine ninety nine. 5999
12: Oh, boy.
1: And it's not a good look. If it was just the front with the clean back. You would say, okay, cool. It's subtle. It's not, like, obnoxious. The back yeah. is what kills it. The back just does not look good.
12: Yeah, uh, plus, like, also, is it actually flannel? Because you know those people who sell flannel and it's not really flannel, so it doesn't keep you warm at all?
1: They said this is 100% cotton.
12: So it doesn't keep you warm at all. So you're paying 60 bucks for just a button up shirt for the style. Yeah.
1: So they got, they got four fruitcakes for that Mm. because the lettering on the back of this thing is completely obnoxious.
12: (laughs) I'm very, yeah. uh, This
1: is, yeah, this is not the way.
12: This is not the way (laughs) you should should put that in the asterisk. You should edit it and make your own.
1: It is not the way, and this is definitely a fun little wrap-up to the holiday special. Next week, you're going to be back on here. We're doing the year-in-review two of Pop Culture Party here. We Last year was you, me, and the great John Stanko on this. John Stanko is a very busy guy. We're trying to book him on the podcast, so hopefully schedule's align. If not, we'll get somebody else in the year, but we will definitely... It's been a year in Pop Culture, I'll say that.
12: Oh, it's been an interesting year.
1: And not as much movies, but plenty of TV. We had some weird stuff. We do have to sort of reason why we got sucked into Tiger King. That's also got to come up.
12: I was going to say we have to bring back the Tiger King for at least a couple of seconds.
1: We have to bring back Tiger King. We got to get your Bachelorette takes because I know the season's wrapping up. So definitely hear from that.
12: I have it on pause right now. So like once we're done here, I'm going to be unpausing and watching the finale. Yeah.
1: Yeah, we we talk about that. I talk about my reality shows because, like, the amazing race finished up. My NFL guys finished in fourth place on the show. Gary, 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 Barnes, D'Angelo Williams. And I felt felt bad for them. It was sunny at the end of the show. D'Angelo got so mad that he lost. And, like, Phil, host Phil Cogan, asked, like, hey, like, would you do this again? He's like, no, like, this was not fun. I did, I could have done this on my own. (laughs)
12: That's great.
1: You, you, like, and it's refreshing because so many times you hear like, oh, like this is a wonderful journey. And that was just raw. Was like, no, like I was not happy with how this turned out.
12: Hey, He was being honest. You got to appreciate the honesty.
1: Yeah. And I remember that he did some interviews after the episode aired. He's like, yeah, you know, like I thought it was gonna be different. I thought we would be able to go see the Eiffel Tower. But like once you're done with the episode, you basically go in the hotel room. I'm like, yeah, you should have looked up before you went on the show.
12: Yeah. People just don't know the magic that is actually television.
1: They definitely don't, but I want to thank you for hopping on here. It's been a very fun holiday special. We had a lot of good guests on here. We had Anthony Decomo on earlier. We talked about the David Wright book. We talked to Will Snyderhand doing the clip show special, which you made an appearance in. We talked to also Martina Puccia. We had a little Festivus Miracle uh, ranting on the Jets, did some NFL picks. Alan Austin, our good friend, was on doing the pop culture draft. So, jam-packed holiday special once again.
12: Hey, listen, you always give a good holiday special.
1: You gotta, you gotta make those stand up here. And I want to plug the blog here as well, JustEndTheSuffering.wordpress.com. I watched the races thirty for thirty on the Infinite Race. It's a outside the box thirty for thirty choice. You want my review? Why you can check it out on there.
12: I'm gonna have to check it out on there because I have not watched it yet.
1: It's an interesting, it's an interesting thing. I'll say that. It's like you have to. It's a, it's outside the box. nothing I was familiar with before I watched it. And, and like, if you're, I feel like within the first twenty minutes you're not into it, you're not gonna like it. That's the way yeah. I would describe it.
12: All right. So that's like the office. If you're not into the first season, skip ahead. <laughs>
1: y- y- yes, pretty much. You go subscribe <laughs> to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, all the usual suspects. Just search for Just Ed and Suffering there on any of those platforms. There's have got a lot of links in this in the show notes here from episodes that reference in the clip show. We're gonna talk about like the ho- old holiday special, some other fun stuff, including all of our gifts will be on there. So check that out. Subscribe, please. Leave your feedback and I will make this podcast even better going forward. You can also follow the YouTube channel by Phillips on YouTube. Our conversation stand is going to be on there. Along with all the visuals of all these wonderful gifts. So oh,
12: that's going to be good. All, there's going to be so many photos.
1: There will be so many photos. And you will also
12: Christmas gifts.
1: <laughs> and you can see the some we're starting to do some Zooms on this podcast. I mean, we, our Mandalorian coverage from last week was on the Zoom with, our, with Pete and our my good friend Nick. We also had an interview with Mike off of the Knicks, Pete Raff of the Athletic on Zoom. So check out the YouTube for some of these things.
12: It's a great visual. You can finally see what we all look like.
1: Yes, you can. So so far, that universe includes me, Sam, Pete, Nick, and Mike Voronov. That's how many people you can see on what they look like on YouTube.
12: We're a good-looking crew.
1: I would say so. (laughs) You can also follow us on social media. You can follow me on Twitter mphilips331. That's m p h i l i p s three three one. Sam, how can they follow you on Twitter?
12: At s d e r o s -S 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 five.
1: Number five. (laughs)
12: <laughs> number five is my favorite number and I always forget
1: yeah it is a good number indeed you can follow Sam on there she did get the handle right this time I know she always questions if she gets it right or not but she did get it correct on this spot so that's all folks for the holiday special coming up next week we're gonna do a little college football playoff we'll do week 17 picks with Alan Austin we'll do a little more plus we'll have our bonus podcast at the holiday pop culture party until then have happy holidays
0: everybody as we dream By the fire, the face unafraid, the plans that we made, walking in a winter wonderland, walking in a winter wonderland, walking in a winter wonderland.